Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network, and we've got to go back to the future part two, because that's what we're here for today as we continue Back to the Future month minus one. It's Back to the Future 0.75 month, and we get to the sequel that I feel never gets appreciation, because I've always loved Back to the Future 2. I almost kind of like it more than the first one, but maybe I don't because this didn't make my top 50 movies of all time. But it's still a great film. I always enjoy it. It stars all the people that were in the first one, minus Crispin Glover and original Jennifer, because we've now got Elizabeth Shoe. Because if the shoe fits, it's Elizabeth Shoe. I, I'd try to come up with a joke there. Um, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah, that was the Max Dawson of introductions. Um, but I'm very excited to talk about this episode. We had a great one last week. We're going to have a great one this week, and I'm excited. I just mentioned that. My name is Ben, and ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oz Network, dedicated to Sydney's number one citizen and Australia's greatest living folk hero, the one and only Ben Waterworth. Of course, we've all heard about the legend, but who is the man? And my name is Colin, and welcome to the Oz Network, where it's always breakfast in America, even in the afternoon. <laughs> I just want to say again, I don't need to have a backup because I'm hosting, but I just want to do this one as well. And my name is Ben, and welcome to the Oz Network, and welcome. <laughs> oh, hang on, let me start that again. <laughs> That's why I was the backup. <laughs> and my name is Ben, and welcome to the Oz Network. Nothing but a breeding ground for tranks, lobos, and zip heads. <laughs> See, this is going to become a trend all three weeks because my backup, I got to go with it. And my name is Colin, and those boys don't work on water unless you've got power. <laughs> and my name is Ben, and beans, chicken, beef, 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 and pork. <laughs> and my name is Colin. You must have the hot chili special. <laughs> oh, what are you, chicken? Um, <laughs> That's like a baby's toy. <laughs> you have to use your hands. Um, <laughs> this movie's great. I, I mean, I don't really. Sure is. I don't have a background outside of what I said last week because my background of all three of these movies is exactly what I said last week. I hadn't watched it forever. I saw a trailer for the trilogy on the Jurassic Park three DVD. I'm like, oh, what's that? Dad rented it one Saturday night, and we watched all three together one Saturday night, and I fell in love with these films. But one thing I'll say, it's. I don't know if we touched on this last week, but this is a, a trilogy that I feel that whenever I watch the first one, I have to watch the second. Like, I know you mm. get that with certain films. Like, you, you know, kind of, I don't generally just put on a random Star Wars movie. It's kind of, it has to be all together. Even James Bond, I kind of feel a bit odd just watching one out of sequence. But this is, this is one franchise that I think I always have to watch together. It's very rare that I'll just watch the first one and stop. And generally I'll find a night to watch all three together. I think the only time I didn't do that is when I saw the first one at the cinemas back when it was during COVID in Canada. 
But so I, I would say I've seen number two as much as I've seen the other two, just because I generally watch them all together. And as I keep saying, my favorite of the two sequels by far, not that I dislike part three, but I've always been a part two fanboy and a part two defender. Uh, I mean, I have more history because I was able to see Back to the Future 1 before 2 came out because I saw like the TV release that had the to be continued on the end before it was removed again. Um, and Back to the Future 2 is one of the first movies I was ever able to see in theaters. Uh, I can remember the lead up to it, seeing like uh, trailers on TV and everything. And it was probably only within a year before it came out that I discovered the first one. Uh, I, I remember um, first time seeing it, like probably the opening week. Uh, it was uh, my cousin who took us. Uh, I say cousin, although he's technically more like an uncle because he's only like six years younger than my mom. So essentially my uncle cousin. Uh, that's the way we did this. Very Tasmanian, my uncle cousin. Uh, that, that, <laughs> but, that's, uh, that's just called Tuesday for us. <laughs> he took us to go see it. And uh, I, I remember loving it afterwards on the way home. He was basically like, you know, speeding in our mom's minivan to be like, we got to get to 88 miles per hour, kids. Somebody activate the flux precipitator. And he's like messing up the names and stuff like that. Uh, but then and it was... then you uh, got a speeding ticket and missed the movie. That's, that's how we got the speeding <laughs> ticket. <laughs> and he went to jail, <laughs> and you, just like Uncle Joey. He died in a fiery car accident. <laughs> the moral of the story, do not speed, kids. Uh, although he did, uh, it's it's not okay for you to do it. <laughs> But uh, that, then it was like before it even came out on video, before three even came out, probably a couple months later, when we were, I don't know, we went on vacation to Minneapolis. And as I said, uh, we did Pretty Woman. My mom just made us sit in a hotel for about three, four days. Uh, and that was fine for us because they had, uh, at this point, like exclusive movies that would be on in hotels before they were on video. And that's basically why we watched Pretty Woman over and over again, because it was between Pretty Woman and Back to the Future 2. So it was a couple days in a hotel, just watch the movie over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, I, I love all these movies. Uh, I I think I do have, it's a minor complaint, but something I never put my finger on until I sat down to attempt to take the very few notes I took on this movie uh, as to why I think I might like three a little bit more than this one. Although this is like by far the most creative of all three of them. Like it, this plot is unbelievable uh and even robert zemeckis has kind of uh, famously said multiple times he's been interviewed he said back to the future 2 is not the best movie i've ever made but it is the most interesting movie i've ever made and so much of that came out of problems that we're going to get into with uh the the background of making this movie with crispin glover and all that um but uh uh one more thing just on talking about uh the the lead up to this the whole hoverboard craze uh <laughs> Everybody assumed that was real. I don't know if we were going to talk about that at any yeah. point. Did, did, did you know about that? That they thought this was real thing? I I've seen the uh, like the, uh, the the didn't they make like a little documentary where they did promote this as like oh yeah. they've been around for years, but we've just never yeah I've 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 seen that before, but it's been a it while. It's like that twenty minute making of yeah. when the movie was released in theaters that everybody saw. And they basically said, oh, yeah, these things existed. It's just they've never been filmed before. And then everybody believed that was a real thing. Uh, I remember uh, my mom even saying, well, maybe we'll go down to Universal Studios in Florida and we'll pick you one up. But I did end up getting even the uh, the, the skateboards uh, as like that was like a end of the school year gift that my brother and I got the skates. It wasn't like the the pink hoverboard, but it was an actual skateboard model after Biff's gang skateboards, not the pit bull, but just the regular ones that they have. Uh, so I had that, and then they had micro machine cars, and I had a, another cousin. This was a younger cousin uh, who was also obsessed with Back to the Future, and we had tried to spend the entire summer making like our. We had to make our own model 2015 Hill Valley Town Square. 
So we had like all these different, whatever plastic we could dig up and cardboard. We never got very far with it, but we we, we had all the micro machine cars that we were <laughs> lay out all over our gazebo. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was a movie I was obsessed with. And still, uh, I, I, I think I can watch part one on its own and not immediately feel compelled to watch two. Although I always feel like I got to watch two and, uh, two and three right afterwards. Uh, but there's no way to do two without doing three because that's basically the design of the movie. That you never before had a movie ended with the trailer for the next movie, which is something something that I think I wish they'd do more now that they've got more of these movie splits. And really, there was only what the Matrix did it after that. Kill Phil Two did it. We just never did the third one. We never just did the movie. <laughs> repurposed footage from the first two. Um, yeah, I mean, I was alive for this in part three, but I was two when this was released, and three when part three was released. So I do not remember it. Um, I think I remember when we, I know we touched on slightly on the video games. I remember like when I was a kid and you'd you'd go like as a six or seven year old to the video store to rent video games on the Sega Master System. I'd always see like Back to the Future video games. And I think it was like, oh, what are those? Those seems interesting. Um, But it was just, again, as I've said, I I, I don't even know the reason why. As a kid, I never watched these until I was 14. So it was never something that I really kind of grew up and wanting toys and everything along those lines. It's interesting. um, You touch on the Hoverboard hoax. But the, the two main ones, obviously, in this, I talk about the casting is obviously Crispin Glover and then Claudia Wells. Now, I, I've, I was reading it here. I actually was going to ask you about Claudia Wells and kind of the reason behind why she was replaced by Elizabeth Shue. But essentially, uh, family reasons, her mother was ill and had cancer at the time mm-hmm. of filming. And apparently, Wells didn't actually return to acting uh, for nearly 20 years after, um, back to the 23 years after Back to the Future. So she actually took some time off and actually did mm-hmm. reprise the role of Jennifer in the Back to the Future video game in 2011 but i think i touched on this last week i never realized that this was a different actress until i read or saw a documentary on this like uh, even when i watched the dvds because like like i don't know like it's even when you watch it back to back i think the casting it is obvious when you look and you see that they are different actors but i think elizabeth shue is kind of one of these ones where it's kind of clever that it's sort of it's very closely resembling her that it's it's done in such of a blink of the matter that you miss it that you don't miss it. And then because obviously they reshoot that ending scene of this film. And obviously that led into Robert Zemeckis and everyone sort of being shoehorned into this storyline, which if they didn't have Jennifer in the car, they, this would have been a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this right now. I'm kind of glad they this happened because so easily, and we see it in movies now, they could just forget this and they could easily like shoehorn this and just do another story. Like they don't have to. Mm-hmm start part two off the back of part one movies today wouldn't do it i mean how many marvel and dceu ends on cliffhangers and things like that which they go a complete different direction and we never hear from it again still waiting for deathstroke to show up in justice league (laughs) i think i honestly think this is incredibly clever and i commend robert zemeckis and bob gale that they were able to make a very coherent story i mean there are plot holes in part two and part three it's time travel we can nitpick things like that but if you are to Sit down and watch these again. Like, bring her up. Why not? When I showed these to Mallory when I was with her, and you watch all three back to back, they just, they all feel like they fit. They all feel like this was a mm-hmm. plan. It feels like point A to point B. It's like the Star Wars prequels. Why we don't like the Star yeah. Wars sequels, there was not a plan. There was at least a plan with the Star Wars prequels. So you knew what you were getting from point A to point C. This, you feel like you were, but obviously it was never the plan to have these sequels, but you don't know that. Um, and the other one, of course, too, Crispin Glover, I'll just add into this, just on this long-winded rant, is uh, obviously he's not in it. Now, originally, apparently, he said it came down to money, uh, that he wasn't being paid enough. 
but apparently he later came out many, many years ago and said that he did not agree with the film's message, saying that uh, the story rewarded characters' financial gain. So he didn't believe that was true. There's a middle. There's, they're both. They're Crispin Glover's a weird dude, so I can't imagine yeah. it's not about money. And then he later sued because they essentially used kind of that footage of him from the first movie and an actor with like prosthetics and background bits and pieces like that, um, which it was resolved outside of court. So, so I don't know if there's ever been publicly announced what that gained, which is kind of... I know what it is. Oh, well, you can tell. So it's kind of relevant now when we're in this day and age of AI and, and de-aging and, you know, everyone's talking about where this line is, like in the future, like we're seeing like, I mean, Star Wars Rogue One was a classic example uh, the way they use Tarkin and Leia and people are often talking about, well, what will they do in the future? Like, you know, mm-hmm. bring him up as an example. And this is not trying to make a joke because I legitimately am sad that Matthew Perry is dead. But like, I mean, does that mean that we can have in 20 years time a full on friend reunion when the other actors are hopefully Touchwood still with us and in their seventies and eighties and you got Matthew Perry, like it's, I don't know, like it's, there's a blurred line there. So a bit to unpack there. I kind of just unpacked a whole yeah. bunch of stuff in one segment there, but you're the smart man, Colin, cause you, taking information from documentaries and things when I read them and forget. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, you got most of it there. Uh, the, the one thing that, and, and I've read the same thing, Crispin Glover has changed the story of why he didn't want to do it. Uh, that I poke a little bit of a hole in because the way this all started was when the studio said, we want a sequel Zemeckis and Gale said, well, let's see if we can get Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox come back. Cause if they're not coming back, we're not even going to bother to. And they called Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. And both of them basically said, as long as, Bob and Bob are back, then we'll do it. And then it's like, okay, let's see who else we can get. Everybody said yes. That came down to Claudia Wells said no because her mother was ill. Uh, and then that was easily remedied. Uh, although that should be the harder of the two to remedy, you would think. Uh, but, uh, you know, Elizabeth Shue, you know, steps in there. And it, it is crazy. Somebody who's actually very well known in the late 80s. And people just didn't question whether this is a different Jennifer. And that could have something to do with, you know, maybe VHSs weren't as common, at least at the, the point where part two comes out where people just sort of caught on the TV and they're like, oh, I forgot the girl from The Karate Kid was also in Back to the Future 1. Uh, but with Crispin Glover, he had asked for, the, and this is coming from Zemeckis and Gale, they said that he had asked for an unbelievably ridiculous high uh, amount of money to come back to the movie. Something that, as they said, didn't justify an actor of his caliber hmm. uh, or the role they were willing to offer him in the movie. So uh, they basically said, to the the agent go talk to your client talk him into being reasonable it's like we'll work with them again and again they weren't crazy about working with them the original script they had would have had a much more diminished role for george uh and, and then when he said he wasn't gonna do it all it's like well we actually don't have to cut that much from the movie because we already were prepared to give him a small role anyways uh but uh the, the sum of money that i heard was that he was asking for just north of a million dollars to do the sequel and this is when it was only supposed to be one movie not two and when they said, well, why don't we just, you know, use footage from the first movie because we could actually have it take place within the same first movie. Uh, it was the Universal Legal Department that they went to and said, is this legal? Can we do this? Which, of course, Crispin Glover, years later, basically says that it was all Bob Gale. He's like, Bob, he literally, his, his famous quote is he keeps saying, Bob Gale broke the law and deserves to be in jail. Which, yes, you go to jail because you use footage from a first movie that you actually Terrible. own. Hideous crime. Uh, but but uh, it's as bad as speeding. That's how bad it is. It was the 80s. Everybody was breaking the law. I'm disgusting. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, 
they their legal team said said yes you can do this and then it was after the movie came out where uh crispin glover and his you know his management made a petition against this but i think what what they settled out of court for was like seven hundred and forty thousand dollars. so it was getting pretty close to the amount of money that crispin glover was asking for to come back in the first place yeah. which probably had to hurt a little uh now having said that did they actually do anything that was against the rules no not technically because it was only after this happened where the the screen actors guild decided to write these rules in there where they're like, you can't use uh, the likeness of a person afterwards. So at the time it was completely normal, but it's just this movie changed it because they didn't, I guess, do have the common courtesy to ask him permission. We're going to do it, even though they technically had permission to do it. Um, now as for what the plot was for the original one, uh, the first draft mm. they wrote was one movie and it was like the, the it, it, everything in the first half was very similar. You go to 2015 you have the sports almanac. You go back. You've changed history. 1985 is a mess. Then, But it was then going to be going back to the 60s. And this is where I feel like a Crispin Glover, who at that point was just going to supposed to be a diminished role, it helped that he wasn't in the movie because that plot was going to be Marty arrives in the 60s to try to get this almanac from Biff, uh, which is when it was supposed to have taken back. And he ends up in prison or in jail and it's Lorraine who bails him out. But in bailing him out, she missed going off for her anniversary getaway with George, which was exactly nine months before Marty was born. So now you basically got into the plot of the first movie, which it's interesting to kind of hear that and be like, oh, that's like an unmade Back to the Future movie, you know. But would it have been at the level of what we eventually got? No, because you would have been redoing the first movie over again, where it's like, oh, now it's about how do we prevent Marty from being erased from existence as opposed to, we have to fix the, the the present that's been changed now. Um, and then at, at one point, when basically the first draft of this screenplay was handed in, Zemeckis was like, yeah, you know, if, if we're not going to have Crispin Glover now anyways, why don't we just go back and have it take place during the middle of the first movie? And then he added on, and why don't we do a whole Western thing and it's the third act? So then a draft of screenplay came out that was like 180 pages, which is almost twice the, twice the length of a movie script, and they, they said, we know this is too long. We just don't know what we can cut out yet. And that's when the studio said, we'll just do two movies. I'm like, wow, why didn't we think about that? We're, we're brilliant guys. We should have thought about that in the first place. I, I mean, on paper, like, yeah, it kind of sounds fun in a way, like 60s. Like, I, 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 this one thing, weird comparison, but I mean, technically Austin Powers are a time travel franchise. Um, yeah. I, I do like that about the Austin Powers movies, how they've kind of used different decades and, it was always talked about them the fourth one, which has long been in development hell, and I know we're going to get it one day. Um, you know, Mike Myers won't let that rest, and it'll probably be horrible. But um, the fourth one was always meant to go to the 80s, because if you kind of think about the Austin Powers movies, they did the 60s in the first one, the 90s in the second one, and then they did the 70s in the third one. So the 80s was kind of always that decade that they never did. So I was kind of of that notion, like, oh, I like them covering that. And on paper, it would have been good with the Back to the Future movies if they did a similar thing. But... What I what I love about these, and again, while that sounds good, is like one of my favorite things about the sequel, and I often see criticism around the sequels because it's just the first movie repeated, which, mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, a lot of sequels really are the first movie just repeated. They just do it better. Yeah. Let's analyze Terminator 2, the greatest sequel of all time. It is the first movie. Um, mm -hmm. It's just done differently. That's kind of, you know, there's a, there's a science behind a sequel. There's a whole methodology behind why they basically are the same movie. But what I think this does cleverly is it basically almost metal says this is the same movie because it is the same movie. Yeah. You are just seeing it from a different angle. And I think a lot of people forget with this film, like, oh, the one where they go into the future, I don't like that one. This is your Moonraker argument. Oh, he only goes into space for 20 minutes. 
they're only in the future in this film for like 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah. Like it's it's not even half of the film. And I always forget that. And I'm always kind of a bit sad about that. I always like the fact that they're there. But I just, I love, I think it's so clever, this way that they're able to do the first movie again. And there are YouTube comparisons if you watch because the real smart thing is the majority of these films in part two are reshot. They're not just used, mm. like obviously there is splicing of footage and everything, but it's very clever if you watch the comparisons. I watched that video that you sent me of the, the music, which was very close when Michael J. Fox is playing it. But there are great comparison videos where you see how near accurate they get to reshooting the scenes from the first one. So mm-hmm. ridiculously clever. Um, and I just, I kind of... The dance l- sequence, like, I can't imagine the logistics of that. Yeah. And th- there's some great trivia on that as to, like, how how they were able to get all this in the first place. It, Lorraine's dress, uh, that was, I'll, I'll just say it now because I'll probably forget it later. They had made three of her uh, dance dresses in the first movie and they gave one to her as like a parting gift. And then the other two, they sold off at an auction. So when it came time to this movie, they're like, oh, we got to reproduce that dress. And she's like, I have the original. Just let me wear it again. <laughs> oh, costly. What a, what, what, a, what a gem she is. What um, a woman. But like the like this is when we back when we did the Santa Claus trilogy. I'm not a fan of the sequels. I'm still not. I did rewatch them sort of this year before I watched the the TV show. And that that's I mean, Jurassic Park's a weirder example. Like I to me, it's just the Santa Claus, those sequels exist in their own world and I don't need to bother with them. It's like the Star Wars sequels now. Jurassic Park, like I will acknowledge part you know, Lost World and Jurassic Park three, and I acknowledge the Jurassic World trilogy is canon but I don't need to relive those to connect my love for the first one. Mm. Santa Claus is similar, but what my favorite part of the Santa Claus trilogy uh, outside of the first one is I like in the third one, when you kind of revisit the opening of the first one with those re-angles and kind of, yeah. you've got them like, I like things like that. They're clever. So I, I like this part of it too. So it's my long window. I say, but my future stuff is the future stuff has always been my favorite of this film. And like, the thing is like, you remember in the lead up to 2015, there were always the memes of, you know, oh, today's the Back to the Future Day. Like in 2010, people would try and troll you. But then when we got to October 25th, 2015, it was a pretty cool day because that was when they did all these comparisons. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Mm-hmm. And legitimately, well, obviously it's very 80s and stylized and, you know, a lot of the stuff they got somewhat accurate. Um, like yeah. you look at video calls, like Doc's little camera thing is very similar to an iPhone. Like there's obviously outlandish things like flying cars, the justice systems done in two hours, things like that. Like, <laughs> you know, but like right now in 2023, if we said, oh, what's the world going to be like in 2053? Well, flying cars, like, you know, like that's <laughs> what we all think. Whereas realistic, it's not. And the, the one which we'll get to, which I think is hilarious is when we get to the sports section and the Cubs reference and the Miami mm-hmm. reference, like one year off. They were one year off in accurately predicting the Chicago Cubs winning a World Series for the first time in 120 years, which is hilarious if you ever see what Chicago Cubs fans did in the year 2015 when they actually went very close to doing it that year. There were people dressed in the crowds as Doc and Marty. They were all in Back to the Future attire because they were basically going like, they predicted this, we are winning the World Series this year, it's going to happen. But... um. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the movie in a second, but I, I went again on 58 tangents there, but Ben rants well, again. The the future stuff, this is uh, this is where I appreciate the dedication. Because like you said, there would have been a way around having the sequel take place a minute later. You know, uh, that that's famously what killed The Last Jedi, as, as I always said, is that, well, what are you supposed to do when, the, when you end the first movie, The Force Awakens, the way you did, but you have nothing to actually tie into it? 
they could have just started the next movie where with this opening scene and then all of a sudden it's like you know uh one minute later it's like oh that was a nice one week vacation in 2015 i'm glad we sorted out your kids mm. but now let's go for that drive and then you you go off on whatever new adventure you want but their dedication to saying okay well we we did this ending that we weren't crazy about when we realized we had to do a sequel let's figure out how to make it work robert zemeckis has said that like the the 2015 stuff is the stuff that he liked the least of this uh because he doesn't like doing features movies it's always laughable when you have a depiction of the future unless it's like so far in the future like planet of the apes where it's like oh this is thousands and thousands of years uh but otherwise like well all you ever do is you watch this and then then once it comes and passes or even comes close you're like oh well they didn't get any of that right so their intention was we're going to do a parody of the future we know we're not going to get any of this stuff right we're just going to have fun with it and then the craziest thing happened is they got about 50% of it right yeah uh and then even in the the making of that i was watching uh the, the one that came out with the blu-ray uh, Spielberg's on there saying, you know, of all the things they actually got right, there's one that I really wish that they had gotten and they didn't, and that's the shoes that tie themselves up. Hmm. Well, guess what happened with that Blu-ray release? Yeah. They did that interview, and then by the time that release came out, they're like, guess what? We got a special version of this shoe that we got limited amount of uh, uh, of units that are being sold for. Yeah, and I remember like in 2015, a lot of these ones, because uh, the hoverboard, for example, is always one like they've always tried. And I hate the fact that you have these like, those electronic sort of skateboard things. You still have wheels, yeah. but they're called hoverboards. They're not hoverboards. Yeah. Like that annoys me that they call them that. Um, but yeah, I remember Nike doing the self-tying laces. And then the thing is you can buy, I actually was somewhere recently and I was on a train or something and some, a guy was wearing the Marty McFly Back to the Future, like the hat, like the with all the cool <laughs> colors on it. Like you can buy that. I, look, I really like the jacket. Like you can buy them. Like they are yeah. things you can buy. They're expensive. But uh, anyway, let's get into the movie. Um, so... Literally, the opening scene is the ending of the last movie, but Elizabeth Shue is there. Um, and again, you again watch the the side by side comparisons on YouTube, and you know there's a few sort of slight tone differences in the way Christopher yeah. Lloyd delivers some lines and things like that. But it's still done, you know, fairly accurately. And you talk about like the time frame of this. If you really do analyze the, all three of these movies, that okay, Marty's like in the 50s for a week and then like this one that's like, what, like a week and then the, the next one that's like a week. But like realistically, it kind of starts and ends on the same day. So like in a weird way. That's a, it's literally a line in the movie. I feel like I was here yesterday. You were. <laughs> yeah, but like there's there's like the whole, like the three of them kind of take place over a couple of hours technically. Um, and then, but the only addition here is you sort of have Biff come running out and he sees a DeLorean take off and he's kind of like, oh, this is a little bit strange. Um the theme over the credits with the clouds is great. Um, and then we see Hill Valley in the future. I love just this setting of like, it's really wet and raining and the flying cars. Um, Doc's got his, uh, this is again, makes me question Doc and his thing hanging out with teenagers. Cause now he's got a device that can knock them out unconscious. Um, you know, um, but like, this is, I don't want to say it's a plot hole because they do kind of like talk about it. But, like, Doc's an interesting character because he's always talking about no one should know too much about their own future. Why does he bring them to the future to stop this? Like, I get he's got this plan. But, like, Doc, like, it's the future. Like, do what Marty did. Like, write a letter. Do not open till like, mm -hmm. 2015. Like, again, I don't want to take apart a movie that I love. But it's just one of these little things where it's kind of like, you're a bit of a contradictory man, but Doc. But I think in this case, uh, 
he's he's there to help them change their future so it's like so you seeing this is uh, he does tell marty like nobody should try not to look at anything right but he's like oh but we have to solve this problem it, it's it's going to be a different future they change it to, to me i think um the thing that makes it less of a plot hole is when he starts talking about paradoxes which has a lot to do more to do with the future self than it does the present self you know um but uh well, once we get to the scene with jennifer uh i'm old i'm young scene uh, i'll have a little bit more of a theory on that also i love the fact that um again you got a time machine and doc said that he's like he's got this point so basically he's brought marty and jennifer forward because he needs to stop this moment in time where marty goes along with a plan with griff biff's grandson uh to what like rob a bank or something like that and this moment mm. marty goes to jail and his whole family basically gets fucked up because his other daughter goes to jail and so he's like this is the moment in time we need to redo so he's brought marty forward it'd be great if uncle joey got paroled while everybody else went in the slammer <laughs> Ma- marty's basically uh gonna pretend to be marty jr and then essentially say no to Griff. So that's what he's brought him forward. But I love Just how like say no. But Doc Doc's basically gone like, oh, I've gone into the I've gone into the future multiple times to see that this is the exact point. So he's been going back and forth, back and forth. When he comes back here to 2015, why does he land only two minutes before this happens? Why can't they like <laughs> land like five hours beforehand, just park in an alley and map out a plan? Like again, plot's got a plot. It's entertaining. But like, you know, Doc, you're a bit dumb. Well- <laughs> but how many other docs right now are in that same town square just looking and being like, all right, let me just write down in my notebook. Marty walks across the street. Exactly. PM. Well, that's a good point. I mean, we, that's the problem we go back when we go back to 1955. There's other docs. There's all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But even like the way he rushes back to 1985 and he's basically like, quick, we're going to go back. It's like you have a time machine. Just like go to a Denny's <laughs> and sit down and plot it before you get in the car. Um, yeah. I, I feel like Austin Powers went like... Is it the second one when he's in the car and then like Austin Powers is like, but what if I go back into the sixties and I do this and I do that? And he's like, oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Yeah. And then like <laughs> Bath Exhibition is like, just do try and enjoy it, won't you? And you at home. Like, it's just kind of like mocking the audience. Like, stop asking questions about time travel. There's too many questions. Um, but yeah, this is kind of where we get introduced to like technology, the self doing laces, the jacket that automatically adjusts. <laughs> I love this jacket. Drying. Your jacket is now dry. <laughs> Um, Your jacket is now dry. <laughs> and I love kind of just like the subtle things you see in the background. There's like giant compact discs. So they obviously thought in the future that we weren't. Those are, no, those are laser discs. Oh, those are, are actual laser discs, which is funny because when they were doing the, uh, the, the commentary for the DVDs, they pointed that out. They're like, oh, we thought, wouldn't it be funny if laser discs, you know, by the time we got to 2015, laser just is thing of the past. And they're like, meanwhile, here, we're here recording this commentary you know, 15 years earlier and Laserdiscs are already in the bins. <laughs> That's funny. I'm looking here. So the, you get the airport youth jailed, Martin McFly. I'm just looking, always looking at the other headlines. So they've got Cubs sweep series in five. Now we get breaking news that the Cubs win the series. So maybe that's a bit of a mistake. Um, there's a headline here that says president says she's tired. So they're like, oh, female president. Again, one year away from nearly having a female president. Um, Queen Diana... I can see there is a headline. So, um, sadly, Diana no longer obviously with us. What did Doc do to screw that one up? Swiss terrorist threat? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it's got, yeah, Washington prepares for Queen Diana's visits. That's kind of funny. Um, Marshall runs three-minute mile. Slam ball playoffs begin. Uh, I always love reading, reading these sort of headlines <laughs> that they do there. Um, so, Marty, yeah, it's got to go and replace Marty Jr., Doc's also had a facelift. 
I don't. What's that meant to be? Like he's aged himself in the future, so he looks different, but yeah. he looks no different. Like is that meant to be the joke? Well, well, when they were getting everybody signed on to come back for the sequel, Christopher Lloyd basically said, you know, he spent a lot of time not just in this movie, but when he's doing Star Trek and everything else, and and, and even just literally coming off of Roger Rabbit. I was going to say was part that was of the, the reason year, why, this, wasn't it? Roger Rabbit, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the year before. Right. Uh, so he's doing Roger Rabbit, Star Trek, and this, and he's like, I'm tired of makeup. Not to mention. The makeup didn't make that much of a difference last time. Uh, he's like, it doesn't. It doesn't make me look that much older. It's the hair that really counts, and it's the performance. And they're like, well, you kind of were right about that. So then they wrote this in here because he didn't want to go through makeup again. And then they actually decided, let's just make a joke about the fact that it does no. It's no different. That's why you have that take of Marty. But yeah, you look great, Doc. <laughs> I kind of think that we kind of see the future people walking around and again, not too far off on the fashion. I mean, okay, we don't walk around yeah. in like high vis bright stuff, but like retro 80s stuff is coming. I mean, right now we live in a phase where the nineties, like kind of that parachute style and the bright colors has really returned. So again, a few years off again, not fully looking like what they do here, but we still see Hill Valley. There's like a lake in front of the courthouse. The courthouse still hasn't been repaired as we're going to find out. Another guy <laughs> still begging for money. Like Jesus Christ. Um, what's going on? But it's now Hill Valley Courthouse Mall. So I don't think that was a mall before. Uh, we see the Texaco thing. And of course, the, one of the famous bits here, we have Jaws 19. Dun, 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 dun. This time it's really, really personal. And then the famous line when Marty nearly gets eaten by the shark, shark still looks fake, which I think I've read Steven Spielberg absolutely loved that bit, didn't he? Oh yeah, but also, did you did you ever see the, trailer. the actual fake trailer? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where they ran through all the what is it? Jaws fifty <laughs> scales of gray. It's like Jaws twelve <laughs> goes to space. Like yeah, like it's you know, and like obviously that's like a parody of just the sequels. And by that stage, there'd been yeah. four Jaws movies. And like it's it's hilarious. And again, kind of on point because how many of these franchises from like the eighties and seventies ended up getting more sequels that we you know maybe didn't need? Um, and had like Max Spielberg director or something like that underneath yeah. it. Goldie uh, Wilson, the third, uh, is running for mayor again, which is kind of good. And then again, another thing they got right, he goes to Cafe 80s, the nostalgia for the 80s. Now, there yeah. are cafes that exist that are like 80s retro ones. Now, obviously, we don't have robotic Michael Jacksons and Robert, um, <laughs> Robert, um, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, uh, Ayatollah. <laughs> Ayatollah, like doing that. But it's still kind of like funny that, he, again, somewhat accurate. Uh, and then the Pepsi Perfect that he orders. Now, I, I do remember Pepsi releasing very limited edition bottles of this around 2015. This was a thing that they did to kind of tie into it. Again, I'm Team Coke, not Team Pepsi, but I commend Pepsi. Very clever marketing. Um, we get Biff here. McFly, hello, hello, old Biff. And basically just uh, tells us a bit of a background that Marty's dad is, uh, uh, well, Marty in the future, Marty Jr.'s dad has basically become a screw-up. Marty, did you call Marty McJr. <laughs> McJr. <laughs> yes. McJr. Burger. Um, so we find out that, like, obviously things have gone wrong in the future. Uh, we get Griff, who's got a few screws loose in his bionic implant. Um, we meet Elijah Woods because uh, he's in this movie. <laughs> um, now, people didn't know, so with this bit where Marty basically goes up and uh, sees his kids with wild gum, and it is wild gum, and da-da-da-da. Um, oh, I have a crack shot at this kid. You have to use your hands. That's a baby's <laughs> toy, which is, I mean, we're not fully hand-free when it comes to video games, but they are a thing in some places. Mm -hmm. One of the little boys, the boys in the red, or I guess with the green cap, that's Elijah Wood. Um, yeah. So uh, there you go. If people didn't know who that was. Um, Marty Jr. comes in. We've got this whole confrontation Marty, normal Marty, hides. 
Uh, he's all like weed and, oh, I'll have a Pepsi, Pepsi, please. Uh, which I always do love in movies when actors have to play kind of other versions of themselves. Like again, Austin Powers, I love the ability of Mike Myers to transform into different characters and you think they're different characters. Say what you will about the Nutty Professor movies. Eddie Murphy is very clever at making you believe each of those um, characters mm-hmm. are different. I've never seen Norbert, but from what I've seen of it, like he does a good job. And it's maybe a shit movie and cost him winning an Oscar, but still. But so I love it that you've got like Michael J. Fox here, like, ah, I'm wimpy. Ah. Then he plays older Marty and daughter Marty, which is a bit on the nose, but um, dad, it's for you. Um, <laughs> that's maybe the one where you're a bit like, okay. Um, but yeah, so Marty Jr. is a wimp. Marty Sr. steps in here and says no, but basically sets up a whole uh, rehash of the first movie here where he's getting a chase here with grief. And I love kind of, I love uh, what's his face here is Griff. The way he's kind of like, when did you become the physical type? Like, yeah. he, he does such a good way of like being able to like transform into this um into this grandson of his. I I I said the first movie like Christopher Lloyd, one of the greatest supporting performances of all time. Uh, Thomas F. Wilson hands down deserved an Oscar nomination for this movie. The the, the the three characters he plays so completely different, and just the levels of like absurdity with Griff and the levels of pure evil with 85 Biff. It's just, how does somebody pull this off and not become a bigger star? Because the third one, he does the voice of the grandma, doesn't he? Is that him? Uh, well, no, I don't know if he does a voice of the grandma on this one. I mean, he does play Buford, of course, in the next one, which is brilliant on a completely different level, too. Well, it says here that he plays Gertrude Tannen, which I'm assuming is the Oh, grandma. so he does do the voice? Yeah. <laughs> Griff, where are you going? Going out, grandma! Um, but yeah, don't even, forget to turn off the garage light. But even just like the cleverness of the editing of this, because like when you get Griff and Biff, like Grandpa here, um, mm. so I kind of love the way they kind of do that. But like, just his facial expression—he looks crazy. He looks unhinged. He's wearing like this metallic thing in his head. What's that line that Doc says? Like, oh, put your pockets outside. Kids wear their pants uh, <laughs> in uh, inside out here in the future. It's the it's the trend. And I also love these like three gang members that he has, and we get the first taste of oh, what are you, chicken? And you, I love he mm-hmm. presses the button on his thing. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had um I should have had the sound effect on my soundboard. Um, but yeah, we get this chase. Marty sort of runs away. It's a rehash of the uh, the first film, but it's done obviously in the future. So Marty gets a hoverboard. It's like, hey kid, let me have your hoverboard. Um, <laughs> pink Mattel hoverboard. Uh, trends of Barbies. Um, and then uh, Griff has got the bulldog, the pit bull that you mentioned before. Now. I will say 90% of the special effects I think hold up in this film, but there are some that obviously don't. So like the bit where he gets a hoverboard and it comes out of the thing and it sort of lands, it doesn't really hold up too well. Mm. Some of the flying cars, they'll look a bit odd as I'm choking on myself. But for the most part it does. And again, as you said, Robert Zemeckis and that have never wanted to come in and retouch them up. So, and I'm glad they have it because it's got that bit of charm to it that, you know, kind of has it. I love older Biff when he's like, there's something awfully familiar about this. Um, as they're doing the chase through the square. Um, <laughs> Those boats don't work on water! Uh, <laughs> Unless you've got power! And then you got, um, yeah, going over the water, which I've got to say, like, it's one of these things where in, it's like the world is not enough. When Zukowski's in his caviar and he's like, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And it's like you were mm-hmm. literally like in arm's reach of grabbing the wall. <laughs> This one here, Michael J. Fox is literally like just step into the water and jump over there. You are that close to yeah. the uh, to the other side. But um, so he's hovering over the water. He ducks as Griff smashes into the courthouse. 
Marty runs away and he's changed the future. He's stopped it. And in the meantime, Marty has seen a sports almanac in an antique shop, which I've always loved the antique shop because I love like the um, Perrier water unopened 1982. <laughs> Here's a unique thing. It's called a dust buster. Like, Again, we're going to catch Roger Rabbit in there too. The Roger I, Rabbit. Stuffy. I didn't see the Roger Rabbit one, um, but I, the other things I saw on the wall, like instant infant flat cat that are on the wall. <laughs> um, but like, these are things that like, again, I mean, you see them in, in antique stores today. You see things from the eighties and nineties now, but when we're like 80, you're obviously going to get there a bit before I do. We're going to see like PlayStation two antique, like PlayStation. That's what I always say about like nursing homes. Like today, people in nursing homes are listening to like Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. When we're in nursing mm-hmm. homes, they're going to be listening to Eminem and Britney Spears. Like, oh, yeah. remember this one, Colin? I'm going to lose myself <laughs> in the music. The moment. Like, <laughs> like that's going to be golden oldies for us. Yeah, Jamie and I watched Cocoon. I, I think mentioned last week. We watched Cocoon, and when we're watching all the scenes in the old folks' home where they're doing like. I don't know, like playing cards or learning like those uh, salsa dancing, whatever. I'm like, just think about the fact that it's like when we're at this age, it's going to be people who are going to be playing Call of Duty in a yeah. nursing home. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. Um, and all I'm, the kids are going to be like, look at these old people playing Call of Duty, listen to <laughs> Eminem. I'm actually going to just like, I mean, because there's actually not that much about the future. So I'm just going to cap all the future stuff here. So just bear mm. with me here. I may as well keep going through it all. Oh, I'm bearing. All right, good. So he gets the sports almanac because he's like, I can't lose now. This is one of my personal gripes about this movie, that it's a stupid plot hole. It's not really a plot hole. It's just Ben Waterworth is just being anal. He has a sports almanac, all sports results from 1950 to 2000. It's like this thick. Now, people can't see me what I'm doing right now. This is smaller than my penis that I'm doing right now. This is like 10 centimeters. (laughs) Um, And that's saying something. But, um, and like, that's got all the major sports results for 50 years. Like, literally, he's going to get a college game from, like, 1955, which is not even a final. If this was just, like, finals or, like, things like that. And obviously, this is incorrect because the internet, we wouldn't really have these things. But I buy sports statistics books, and these are, like, fucking thick. So, Colin's got them on the shelf. I've got one just on the first 100 years of the NHL, and that's, like, like 10 times. Although, I will say this... uh, in the original plot, it wasn't an antique store. The, the mistake they made was putting this in an antique store where this had to be something that came out of the year 2000 or whatever. But I guess even at the time, they, they, um, well, the original idea was this: that there's actually a line where they talk about it's 2,000 pages printed on micro, micro thin paper. So there was supposed to be an explanation for it. And I'm thinking like, okay, but it's, it's not like an antique. But I guess 2001 was still the future from, you know, 1985 that you could say, okay, well, this is possible. True. And because they do mention like, oh, and this is a, it's a dust jacket before, what did they say? Like dust resistant paper. Dust repellent paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously Marty gets this off the back of having the guy in the town square who like, we see the like Cubs win world series against the, against Miami, which at the time there was no Miami Marlins. So like people might watch this if you don't know baseball and go, well, where's the joke in that? Cause like, the joke here is where more when Marty goes like, but Miami, like that's kind of, he reacts because yeah. in 1985 or 89, there was no, no Miami team. and well in 1985 when it's set. So obviously there is a Miami Marlins now, but so again, accurately predicted that. And again, for those who don't know their sports history, the Cubs were a year away. The Cubs did win the world series the next year, which was the longest drought in like major us professional sporting history. It's like 119 years, I think from memory or 109 years, ridiculously long drought. Toronto are getting close by the way. Um, yeah. so, well, decades to go and we're there. <laughs> um, but I mean, as I said, go back and watch the news footage around like Cubs fans. Cause I think they were only a series or two away from making the world series in 2015. 
and they they fully like there were sections of the crowd dressed as Doc and Marty with signs going yeah. like they predicted it like it was so close. Um, Doc uh, basically sees the newspaper. They've changed the future. They're ready to go. Uh, but Jennifer is being taken by the police back to her home because she's been discovered in an alley, which, I mean, come on, Doc. You don't just, you should know this better by knocking out children. Um, I, I do have to question, what was Doc doing the whole time? Like, he goes to stop Marty Jr., obviously realises that he didn't knock him out enough because he used too much of his date rape drug on Jennifer. But, like, what was he doing afterwards? Like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, he even says I'm late at one point, but like late for what the, the only thing he's doing, he's watching where Marty Jr. is. Yeah. But then we find out later, it's like, oh, my kid showed up. Doc didn't realize. Now, if he had knocked him out and said, I'm going to keep him tied up <laughs> like like a creepy old man that drugs kids would do, <laughs> that would be different. But he literally just drugs the kid and just sits. He's sitting there watching the Cubs play. That's yeah. what he's doing. Also, oh, I got to see the Cubs win the World Series. <laughs> also, random things I love in this movie is the fashion. So I love Doc's shirt that he's wearing. It's like a yellow Hawaiian shirt mm. with trains, clowns and horses on it. Um, and later on, my favorite shirt in this movie is one that Biff wears in the fifties. That's a random thing. Yeah. But, um, so doc basically is like, uh, shit, we're going to go get Jennifer. But then he discovers that Marty has got this sports almanac and is all like, you, you can't do this. I didn't make a time machine to make money. Um, this can change, completely change the future. We're going to throw this out. Now. I love that doc's like, Oh, I'm going to use this to like see humanity and see where we're going and what we can change. Did you stop nine 11? Um, did, <laughs> did you stop the pandemic? Um, I mean, I'm just asking for curiosity's sake. Like, I'm sure if you've gone into 2015, 9-11 happened by then. So did you stop Queen Diana from dying in a car accident? Yeah. Did you maybe tap her on the shoulder that fateful night in August 1997 and say, uh, Miss Diana, don't get in that car tonight, all right? Um, you know, just asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> did you stop Richard Jewell? from being accused of bombing in Atlanta in 1996. Uh, did you stop Max Dawson from appearing on televisions for approximately three weeks? Yeah, did you stop Max Dawson from being a cunt? I mean, maybe you did. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. Think of I... all the things you could stop Ben from saying that get him into trouble. <laughs> did you stop my parents from meeting and having sex and creating me? <laughs> did you stop this show from ever existing? Um, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating, but I kind of like that line and, I mean, Doc the noble man, but like the thing is here with Marty, right? Marty could just be like, all right, Doc, whatever. Goes back to 1985. I remember the Cubs win the 2015 World Series. I remember mm. that Toronto Maple Leafs still haven't won a Stanley Cup. Like, I mean, like it's, I would remember shit like that because I'd be looking at certain sports. Like, did Carlton ever win an AFL premiership? You, I mean, you'd go straight to the NHL. You go, and yeah. we still have more money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Las Vegas? Uh, <laughs> that's what you'd be doing um, So he'll still remember it Throws it out We're going to see Biff uh, Old Biff take it They go back to Hilldale Now obviously Hilldale in 1985 Is like the fancy part and of Hilldale. town Hilldale Oh okay Hilldale yeah Yeah but now it's the slums It's uh, hobos and tranks and. But, uh, but what's great is that like And as a kid I questioned it I'm like but they got a nice house Look at all the stuff they have And I think that's part of the joke Is that Oh, in the future, it's not just this is going to be like alter 1985. Everybody's got it so made in the future that maybe having like just nine channels on the TV or whatever uh, isn't good enough. And having like the the the, the fruit bowl or the, the, the microwavable dinner, it's like, well, mine microwaves it in 0.5 seconds and yours takes a whole second. But I think we have that in modern times because even if you go to the bad areas of the city, people will still have like a flat screen TV and the internet yeah. and, mo and an Apple iPhone. 
it might not be iPhone 15, it might, but you know, but like if you went back 20 years ago and think, oh, well, you know, a redneck for you, a bogan for me, wouldn't be able to afford that. It's just kind of standard technology that we have. But I mean, it's also a case of like, this is a thing like here in Sydney, for example, there's a suburb in this city called Redfern. And I remember when I was younger and I'd come to Sydney by myself, my mum and my parents were like, do not go to Redfern. That is a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. You will get shot. You will die. Nowadays, it's like fucking trendy as fuck. I'd live there in a heartbeat. It's like expensive yeah. and rich and everything along those lines. So opposites can happen as well. Uh, so they've got to save Jennifer because the, the risk of her being spotted by her future self could cause a paradox, which Doc doesn't know about. So she gets taken back there. I love kind of like this future where they just like, you know, take her into the home. They can just use scan biometrics. Again, not quite there yet, but there are some things here which are kind of, you know, can be done. Mm-hmm. And I do kind of like this moment where the, the cops are kind of like, you shouldn't have your lights off when you come in. You should program them to come on. Again, we have smart homes. This is a thing that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jennifer's obviously still trying to like realize like the future. She thinks she's in a dream. We meet her daughter, Michael J. Fox. Uh, which sure. And then we get, uh, Lorraine, we get old, uh, Leah Thompson. He still looks hot by the way. She's still bangable. Um, as is old fake Crispin upside down Glover, which I love the, the, the ways they go about trying to like counter. This isn't Crispin Glover. Let's have him upside down. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, it's, it's smart. It's very smart. Um, and then Doc and Marty arrive in Hilldale. Marty's got to hang out at the DeLorean. We've got Biff, who uh, has got the almanac. He sees a DeLorean. He somehow works out how to use a time machine uh, in five yeah. seconds. Well, but, but okay, so I, that was the first thing I wanted to poke a hole in, but then I'm like, okay, but we don't see him activate the time machine, so we don't know how long he had this. He just happened to come back. He could have, right now, somewhere at that point, he could still be going around like, oh, and then what if I press this button? But it's, it's, it, he figured it out within a day. Two, two plot holes, though, that I have around the time machine, which, again... He doesn't know the whole 88 miles an hour thing. But like later on in this movie, when the DeLorean gets struck by lightning, he's not going 88 miles an hour. So that's where I've always questioned, is that a plot hole? Like, can you just get struck by lightning and go back? Do you? Not- um, I mean, it's it, it, maybe it's a neutral right now. <laughs> he's just flooring the gas. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Um, kind of like Ferris Bueller when he tries to remove the miles by going in reverse. <laughs> like, Or, or do they even, you know what? Does the movie ever say they have to get up to 88 now if you're airborne? Because we talked about the end of the last movie, how quickly he got to 88 when he drops Marty off. But then it's the same thing when he's in the sky. Maybe when Maybe. you're in flight, it doesn't have to be 88. Maybe. I mean, next movie, we're obviously going to, it's going to be important to get to 88. So that's where I yeah. kind of think. Maybe there's a line maybe that was in it, or maybe they needed to add where it's like, oh, in flight, we mm-hmm. don't need to get to 88. Because I've always questioned that. I've always, I've never understood yeah. how when he gets struck by lightning, he gets taken back in time. And even here, like with, with Biff, like how does he know to get to 88? But you're right. Like there could be a lot of trial and error. Um, I love kind of the, the neighborhood where you sort of see like a self-walking dog uh, kind of going in there. I love Marty Jr. when he's like, I'll have six channels, please. I'll have channel 32, blah, blah, blah. And the weather channel. And I love how one of like the channels is like called like the tit channel or something. You see like some like boots. <laughs> I've written it down. It's like, um, oh, where is it? Uh, Look for it in guide yet? Super deflatable tit in the top right <laughs> corner. There's like the channel where you see like it's a home sh- shopping network and you see kind of like, of course I notice the boobs. Uh, also, <laughs> I want to point out that the taxi driver who drops off Biff looks like Sheriff Woody. Um, I don't know if you uh, <laughs> picked up what he's wearing. Um, but again, I mean, look, we don't quite have TV where you can sort of do that. But like 
it's a kind of an algorithm for the future that we're all on multi-screens. If I'm watching Back to the Future, you had a dream about Jamie watching three Back to the Futures yeah. at once. If I'm watching Back to the Future, I've got my phone on. I can have a computer on. Like, we're, we're so short-sighted in modern times that we are looking at multiple screens. So it's kind of this weird, like, connection to it that sort of has it. Um, Marty Jr. Uh, Marty comes home. Hey, guys, I'm home. King of the castle. Lord of the manor. Dad's home. Hello. 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 <laughs> oh, um... Which I kind of like that moment. I love the de- the hydrator when it, like she brings over the pizza and it's this tiny little bag. Mom, we're not going to be able to eat all of that. Um, <laughs> Who's going to eat all that? <laughs> which that's one thing that I wish we had. That's kind of cool. Um, and then obviously we get a bit of um, the thing that, again, you can tell this is filmed back to back. Because if you've seen these movies multiple times, you know the little threads they dangle that are going to be part of the third one, right? So like here you sort of get the... Oh, your your dad's biggest thing has been called a chicken. He was called chicken mm-hmm. once and he got in a car accident and then he went into hospital and it ruined his music career. That was the one moment that it you know, ruined his life. Now, really, does Marty go in hospital and goes, oh, fucking flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers called me chicken in a car race and now my life is ruined. Like, I mean, Marty to me is not this type of person who admits that being called chicken is his, like, kryptonite. But um, mm-hmm. obviously they bring it up. Speaking of um, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, here he is, needles on the screen. Um, I'm guessing Marty is doing insider trading here or something like that because like he's like, oh, swipe yeah, your card like and do that. Uh, we get a very over-the-top Japanese stereotype, which I'm not going to try and do the impersonation of it, but that's uh, Marty's boss and he gets oh, fired. do it! <laughs> no. Max Dawson's <laughs> listening to this. He's already heard I called him a cunt. He's, he's ready to tweet out about it. Marty gets fired. Um, Jennifer sees her old self. She picks up the piece of paper that says you're fired, which is going to be important in the next movie. Uh, Biff comes back from the future. He disappears because he's changed the past. It's a bit of a thing going forward. Um, Doc rescues Jennifer and they're all like, cool. Everything's changed for the better. Nothing, of course, can be different. So there you go. I've gotten through 40 minutes, basically nearly half of the movie. But that's all the future stuff there for you. Hit me with your best shot. Fire away, Pat Benatar. Um, so yeah, I already said the thing about Doc's makeup, which uh, even as a kid, I just thought that was hilarious. So I'm just like, what do you think? And it's, yeah, you look great. Then you realize that they actually had been spending money on this makeup for no reason whatsoever. It's kind of even funnier. Um, I, I love Doc, like, uh, obviously the end of the the first movie, it's like, oh, bring her along. They, they kind of explain uh, when when Marty's like, well, what did you bring her for? It's like, well, I had to. She saw the DeLorean, right? It's like, that's when you knock her out. You don't You don't have to bring her along. But I love all her questions in the car. It's like, wow, I'm going to get to see my wedding and my wedding dress. Did we have a big wedding? You just have to, uh, chapel nope. Chapel of love. <laughs> I get married in the chapel of love. Uh, this is where, I mean, uh, Claudia Wells was good for what she had in the first Back to the Future movie. I've never seen her in anything else, but uh, this is something where I'm like, okay, this is probably what Elizabeth Shue brought that maybe Claudia Wells didn't. Is this? She's basically the comic relief during the mm. 2015 stuff. I mean, Michael J. Fox is as well, which, but... Uh, she gets a lot of like you know, very over the top line deliveries and, and the comedy is just fantastic, which she's primarily a dramatic actress with, you know, I guess, what, Hollow Man had a little bit of comedy in it. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Did you ever see that one with Elizabeth Shue? No, but I'm just thinking of all the hilarious moments in Hollow Man, like when <laughs> Kevin Bacon, doesn't he rape a woman when he's like invisible in that movie from memory? Um, yeah. Hilarious. Oh, it's, it's- 
Call me She's almost as funny as that. She wasn't leaving Las Vegas about depressed uh, Nicolas Cage dying a drunk with a hooker. By the way, have you heard about this new Nicolas Cage movie? Oh, no, but I'm intrigued uh, It's called like, Dream Scenario. That's, that's literally okay, whoa, all, you, whoa. all you have to say to me is, have you heard about this new Nicolas Cage movie? <laughs> the, the We saw the trailer last night. Um, the, the plot is basically... Every person in the world suddenly starts having dreams about Nicolas Cage, not Nicolas Cage, the man, but the character he's playing, just this completely ordinary man. And he suddenly becomes like world famous because everybody's like, I'm having dreams about, you know, I don't know why. It's like, it looks like just insane. I can't even wrap my head around the plot for this, but it looks fantastic. So Nicolas Cage again is playing himself? It, we all have dreams in Nicolas Cage. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, he just, he does the movie with Pedro Pascal and he's just like, hey, this works. Yeah. I'm just going to always play myself. What a man. But in this one, he's he's playing like, uh, it's almost like adaptation, Nicolas Cage. You know, he's, he's playing like the world's most boring man, but everybody in the world is dreaming about him and they don't know why. It's like some Aww. weird phenomenon. Um, Who isn't dreaming anyways, about him? Like, I, I just, I'm dreaming about him now and I'm awake. Exactly, yeah. Him and Pedro right now together. Um, that's a dream. I need to rewatch um, that movie. Maybe I need to give that movie a second chance. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things where I'm like, oh, I remember thinking like well, that was good, but maybe I expected it to be a little bit better. Mm. But uh, maybe it is a little bit better. Who knows? Maybe oh. it's a, a multiple watch movie. We, can we just like take a moment right now? Pedro Pascal. What a man. <laughs> what a man. I love that man. Uh, but yeah, I love Doc just like, uh, okay, all right, no, big wedding. Nope. Um, and then uh, when they land and uh, the sky all of a sudden clears up, he goes, right on the ticker. Amazing. Too bad the post office can't be as efficient as the weather service. Yeah. Big knock at the post office well, there. That's accurate, uh, let's be honest. Except for Canada Post <laughs> this week, delivered very well for Colin. Yeah, what was up with that? <laughs> I know. This is what happened. This is why I've been saying forever. There was a big campaign here because they were going to end door-to-door delivery. It was all going to be the community mailboxes and everybody was all up in arms about it. I'm for it. End door-to-door delivery. This is the service we can expect. And door-to-door. I don't need it anymore. Yeah. Um, although it did arrive at my door, so maybe I do need yeah. it. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, all the 2015 Town Square stuff's fantastic. The the gas station, like, and, and I'm not going to say that I ever had a problem with this, but I think that I did reach a point, maybe at some point in my 20s, when I was watching this, I'm like, they really do just redo the first movie in so many ways. And then you realize that's the intention. They, they, they want these all to be playing. And you have the lines from things like Biff. Like, there's something very familiar about this to kind of play on that. Uh, but uh, the, the cafe '80s is fantastic. <laughs> the, the battling uh, TV waiters, uh, the 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 wild gun, which apparently I always uh, wanted to track this game down. It was made just for this movie. It's a fictional game they created for this. Kind of like the Elijah Wood. It's a fictional person. The fictional person they created for this and the Lord of the Rings, and then they retired him from what life. What happened to Elijah Wood? Where is he? He did a TV show. Um, I only ever saw like half an episode of it. Um, what was it called again? Uh, I think I had a guy dressed as a dog that was his imaginary oh, friend. Oh, that was based on an Australian TV show, Wilfred, or w- I think it was called Wilf- Wil- Wilford. Yeah, yeah Wilford or Wilfred. Yeah, it's an Australian TV show. They made an American version of it. Yeah, that was very. Was he very in big. that one? No, I he think was. he might You're have right. been. You're right. Yeah, that's maybe about um, ten years older. That was a while ago. Yeah, so he stuck around a little while after Back to the Future. He got to hang out with <laughs> Lily Sabowski and Deep Impact. I always liked them as a couple in that movie. That's a movie I, I get the urge to watch like at least once a year. Yeah. When are we doing More Disaster Month? Can we do it next year? I know we've got limited time the, next year, but can we? It is one of the, the first things we ever proposed doing next when we year, launched this podcast. I'm saying right now, uh, I like I know again we've got limited months and we keep saying what we're doing and I'll work this out, but I am finally on board to finally do our month where we do Deep Impact, Armageddon, Dante's Peak and Volcano. Yeah. 
And then we, if we have time, we do Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea or something. Yeah, well, that can be like the White follow-up. House Down and yeah, well, White we House do it like Down every year and, uh, or something like that. Like that can be follow-ups, but uh, that, that, we've got to yeah. do those four because those four, like we keep holding off Dante's Peak on 007 for the Brosnan one because like, but they're all can we mm-hmm. can we dad can we please yeah. please, <laughs> um yeah the 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 Griff character is so great like Thomas F Wilson. He's such an amazing actor. Mm. Uh, like, I, I, and, he's, and he's doing the scene with himself. He's the first guy in this movie to really do a scene with himself because the the two Martys don't really interact. Uh, but they had to design a camera for this. It's basically a motion control camera, which had existed in special effects. Like the Star Wars movies were built on motion control cameras, which basically you program your like, computer to tell the camera to make a very specific move over and over again so that you would film in Star Wars, uh, in case of Star Wars, a spaceship. And then you got that exact same move with another spaceship. And then you put those two shots together. But here they had to do it as a live action environment. So all these camera moves are pre-programmed so that you have to have uh, the camera hitting its mark at exactly the same time and nothing on set could move. So here in the cafe 80s, and it's even more complicated in the, the, the dinner scene they have coming up, everything on set had to be glued down. Um, not in the Cafe 80 scene, but when they were filming the other uh, the the dinner scene where you have three characters interacting, all Michael J. Fox. Uh, not only they glue it down, but basically when they would wrap for the day, they barricaded everything off, and they had 24/7 guards hmm. on duty to make sure nothing was disturbed on set because if one thing moves out of the way, your shots ruin. They also happen to have an earthquake on like the last <laughs> day of filming. Shit. Uh, and then they were amazed, like, well, let's just go through it anyways. And they look, and they look at it afterwards, and not a single thing moved. Like the only thing in all of California that didn't move during an earthquake is because they glued it down. Uh, but then old Biff is just great too. Like him and his little cane, and and hello, hello, knocking on him. Uh, Griff just abusing his grandpa. I love. Uh, what am I paying you for? Like this is his grandpa, and he's paying him to wax his car. Um, the, the, the gang members, I don't know who the other two are, but the, the guy, the guy who actually has a, unless you've got power, uh, that's Jason Scott Lee, which did you ever, I don't know if you ever saw either of these movies, uh, the live action jungle book movie from the mid nineties. Oh, I would have, um, as and then there kid. was, uh, the, the Bruce Lee biopic dragon, the Bruce Lee story. No, I never would have seen uh, that. He had both those movies come out like within a year of each other and it should have been like an overnight star. Uh, and then he just disappeared. And I don't even know what With he's Elijah doing now, Wood. but yeah, him and Elijah Wood, he, he was the fake dog in, in that Wilfred TV show. I always got Elijah uh, but, Wood and Ethan Hawke confused. I don't know why. A bit of an age separation between them. So I start <laughs> um, with E, I guess. Uh, so yeah, Jason Scott Lee. So he heard uh, the name. had done... Uh, Back to the Future 2, obviously. Then in 93, he had Dragon the Bruce Lee story. 94, he had the Jungle Book live action movie. And then he did the movie Soldier with Kurt Russell, where he played like a henchman. Uh, he did a voice in Lilo and Stitch. He did Time Cop 2, The Berlin Decision. Love it. Uh, Dracula 3 Legacy. Uh, basically just did all... a movie called uh, Boone. Is that like the Boone from Lost <laughs> biopic? He was in well, I mean, I'm starting to... I'm starting to see some that were, I guess, uh, Balls of Fury, that uh, what Christopher Walken um, ping pong mm. movie, mm-hmm. uh, Crouching Tiger sequel, Crouching Tiger Sword of Destiny. Yeah, the Mulan live action movie. But if, if you ever get a chance to see the Bruce Lee biopic, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, like a, another guy where it's like, wow, he should have gotten an Oscar nomination for the movie. Here he's just a background gang member. But uh, I'm a big fan of Jason Scott Lee. Somebody needs to give him more stuff. Sam Neill, um, Carrie Yule's. Lena Headey and John Cleese were in the Jungle Book 1994 movie. Oh, I thought you meant they were the other gang members here. Like, well, that was Sam Neill. <laughs> <laughs> Those ports are work of water. <laughs> That's crazy. I the didn't... girl who grabs it, you got no scrotum. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. 
but yeah. Yeah, I'm probably since the mid nineties for me. Um, but uh I mean the chase scene here is great and and the hoverboard effects, yeah, a couple of them, you're like, oh, I could see what they did there. But the best thing they did was uh they never used they didn't say we're just gonna use one type of effect. So like we're gonna combine things. At times the hoverboard's gonna be on rigs. At times there was actually a couple of scenes where it was literally a magnet and they had it like, you know, magnetized. Uh, and then a lot of stuff on wires, but they wanted to make sure like from one shot to the next, it was never the same type of practical effects you were using. So it would make it harder for people to figure out. And for the most part, the hoverboard chase works. Like when I'm watching that scene, I know that he's being carried by wires, but you feel the weight, like, especially when he's going over the pond, it actually feels like you, you could feel it slowing down and like almost as if you had a magnet that was just slowly being repelled. Um, the, uh, the pit bull, the little girl who gets a keep it. I got a pit bull now. (laughs) I mean, this thing probably costs a lot of money. Your mom's going to be mad. You could have just cleaned up and had two hoverboards and you're giving one away. <laughs> Stupid kid. Um, <laughs> think about your parents' money. <laughs> I'm going to play that as a sound clip now whenever Casper and that comes out. Stupid kid. Stupid kid. <laughs> uh, I, I do question how quickly everything changes in this because in the first Back to the Future movie, the picture of Marty and his siblings, it took, what, seven days Mm. for the changes to catch up 30 years. And here he basically looks at the newspaper clipping the next day and you see the, the Griff I was framed thing on there instead. And it's immediate. And then the same thing will happen at the end of the movie where it's just an instantaneous turn, which goes against my defense. And I think what the intention is with the whole paradox thing with Jennifer, Um, a couple of little trivia things here. The, um, uh, the, the kids are supposed to be twins. That's never actually stayed in the movie, but uh, in the script, the boy and girl, Marty and Marlene, or twin uh, twins that uh, Marty has. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the trailer for this movie. Uh, it mm-hmm. it actually has, like, when it reveals the casting, it's starring yeah. Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Thomas F. Wilson, Michael J. Fox, Michael J. Fox, and Michael J. Fox. Don't, don't they say, <laughs> and introducing Michael J. Fox, or am I making that up? Oh, I don't remember if it's introducing, but it would have been great if it was when the girl comes out introducing Michael J. Fox. Um, the, uh, the Crispin Glover thing. Now this, I've never read this as trivia, but I, I would think this is actually pretty close. We already, uh, talked about in the first one, Crispin Glover's weird idea. We want his hair to be standing completely up and they're like, but it doesn't match the rest of our coverage and doesn't really match the character. And he's like, well, who cares? I, I, I don't, I don't quite notice that like the way when he's hanging upside down, his hair is standing hmm. straight up. He's just upside down. I guarantee that was them poking fun at Crispin Glover when they decided to have him do that. Uh, and this, the practical effects of this as well for it to be hanging, because they had to build like tracks that carried this actor. Uh, Leah Thompson, I don't think she was ever rude to this guy, but she never acknowledged him by name. Kind of like the way that like Eric Stoltz refused to respond to Eric on set. On set, she apparently always called him the guy who's playing Crispin, mm-hmm. as opposed to identifying him by name, Jeffrey Wiseman, which I kind of feel bad for this guy. It's not his fault. Uh, and they're, they're setting this now, what, 60 years in the future, 30 years I mean, you you could have nobody would have cared it's not like anybody's you're gonna need to hang him upside down or people are gonna realize it's not crispin glover nobody had seen crispin glover in anything else at this point um but but it's still it's a cool effect to have him upside down but the line he has where it's like oh what happened and he's like oh i was out on the golf course so there's a lot of deleted footage from this marty's house in the future and he continues the story where he's talking about oh uh you know i threw my back out and then lorraine's like no it was one of those cars that fell out of the sky they got an outlaw hover conversion uh, because hover conversion in this 2015 is supposed to be something new. That's why I have Goldie Wilson talking about my new hover conversion technology. Uh, so it was a part of the plot that like cars are falling out of the sky and crushing our husbands. <laughs> there would have been like this protest for it. 
Um, some of the other stuff in 2015 that's Bella cut. protest. <laughs> Save our husbands. Some of the other stuff is cut. The dinner scene that they have where they hydrate the pizza, which, by the way, I mean, after this movie came out, my go-to pizza every time I we'd order a pizza was pepperoni and green pepper. Now, of course, they combine it. You can't say I want one half just green pepper, one half pepperoni. But because of Back to the Future, I don't even know how many years, anytime I got pizza, it was always pepperoni and green pepper. Uh, just because of this movie. Uh, I, I do wonder, of course, the joke is who's going to eat all that when it's a mini pizza and then it hydrates. But like, if you have six people over dinner, two of them are t- teenagers, is one pizza going to be enough for all of them? Yeah, that's tough. I'm guessing like this, there's more than one in the bag. That's kind of my assumption. Because I, I probably look, see her take it out of the bag and there's one, unless she got, maybe she's got another one in her purse. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm uh, with you because I look at that and like, they all take a slice. And like, like let's be yeah. honest, if we have pizza, you generally have like three or four slices. Yeah, I mean, Casper, I mean, Casper doesn't have seconds of anything. Stupid it doesn't, kid. it could be his favorite, his stupid kid. Uh, his favorite foods are salad and chicken noodle soup. I know he's a weird kid. He, he likes healthy. Hi, I'm uh, a kid but- and my favorite food is salad, <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> but we will offer him like a second salad. He'll say no. We'll offer him a second bowl of chicken noodle soup. He'll say no. We'll offer him a second piece of pizza. He says no. The other day he took a second piece of pizza and then he came home and he ate some of his Halloween candy and then we just saw him come out of the kitchen. He had a third piece of pizza in his mouth. I'm like, where did your appetite from? My seven-year-old is eating more than these grown adults. I mean, at the same time, look at how small the McFlies are. So maybe they don't need as many calories to get by. Uh, but uh, in this scene where, where he says, mom, you sure can't hydrate a pizza. I'm sorry I missed that whole thing. I always assumed that line was like, oh, I would have loved to watch you hydrate a pizza. But there's actually a break in that scene where he says, uh, you sure can't hydrate a pizza. And then they're talking about Uncle Joey and they had like a get out of jail party for him. And he says, I'm sorry I missed that whole thing. And Lorraine explains, well, don't be too sorry because he was denied parole again. <laughs> so, but they, they splice those two lines together when Marty's actually talking about <laughs> the get out of jail party for Uncle Joey. Um I love Elizabeth Shugo around the house, like you said, the, the chapel of love <laughs> scene uh, that she has. The chapel of love. <laughs> her disgust in her face. Uh, but uh, another thing that's cut out here, so when she sees herself as she has the I'm old, I'm young uh, shock expression, there's a second part of that scene where Marty comes, like old Marty comes, and he picks her up off the floor and says, great, she's drunk again. And and it's, it's supposed to be a part of the plot where it's like Jennifer is like Lorraine, in the first movie, she's she's with the man she loves, but she's not happy in her life. So she's obviously an alcoholic. And that explains why, you know, I guess this doesn't create a paradox because document says, I don't know what will happen. Maybe they would just have shock and pass out. But but in this case, you convince the modern Jennifer that she was asleep and it doesn't create a paradox. And then you convince the older Jennifer that she was drunk because that's just common with her and it doesn't create a paradox. The idea of this paradox is what I always had trouble wrapping my head around. It's like, well, but but Doc knows what goes on at different times. And I guess the idea is that like the future hasn't caught up yet until you've made a change that's going to change their lives. You know, it's it's that ripple effect they talk about in these movies that if if old Jennifer now knows this, does that now create a paradox where it's like young Jennifer probably wouldn't have gotten in the car. When she got in the car, she would have known about this and she would have stopped Doc from drugging her. That's the whole paradox that it gets complicated on uh, where everybody's eyes go crossed. Um, oh, no, I've gone cross <laughs> Just sit back and enjoy it. Uh, one of the two cops who takes Jennifer home, I love they talk about her facelift because she's supposed to be 47. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the cops is actually Robert Zemeckis' wife. Mm. Um, and then uh, uh, the, um, the the TV channels, I always tried to freeze from. Apparently you you had the ability to freeze from because I swear at some point I remember seeing that they had either taxi or family ties on one of those channels. 
And I couldn't find any trivia about this. So it may have been something I completely imagined, but obviously like those are the TV shows that Michael J. Fox, and Christopher Lloyd were known from. You look like you're looking for it right now. So maybe. Um, not that I can see. I see the, the boobs. Uh, there's a weather <laughs> channel. <laughs> That's all you see. <laughs> there's like a robot. There's like a nuclear bomb going off. There's like a brain cell and a skeleton. There's flicking the channel and there's like people in a prison cell. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the boobs was probably from Family Ties. That's what it must have been. Yeah. Uh, but but there's also a deleted scene there. Uh, I love it. He comes in and it's, it's almost like a joke. Watch a little TV for a change as he's watching six channels. But when he, he says it's time for dinner, he makes Marty Jr. come with him. And he says, oh, but dad, I'm watching TV now. You know the rule. Uh, only two channels at the dinner table. And that's what he gives him the glass. He goes, oh, but I only got two channels on this. <laughs> uh, I do wonder with Flea, I could have sworn Flea was in Point Break, which we've already covered, but I know Anthony Kiedis was in it. I don't know if the other member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers are, but this is at least the second thing with Flea we've covered because we've done Obi-Wan. Yeah. And we're about to do a third Flea movie next week, and maybe he was in Point Break. At least one member of Red Hot Chili Peppers was. How many actors have we covered no movies of, <laughs> and we're going to be coming up on a third or fourth Flea movie next week? Kevin Flea. Bacon. <laughs> have we done it? Kev- no Kevin Bacon's, but abundance of Flea. That's the Oz Network's new slogan. Little Kevin Bacon and an abundance of flea. <laughs> have we not done a Kevin Bacon? Like, what is wrong with us? Like, we have not done a Kevin Bacon film. Um, we have done, what, one Jim Carrey, two Jim Carrey movies. And we're doing, obviously, a bunch more next year. Um, who's someone else we haven't done? Liam Neeson. Uh, well, we did Star Wars, so I guess that's one. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, God, there's a few we haven't done. A lot of actors we haven't. Uh, no. uh, no. Yeah, but all the, all the 2015 stuff is great. Now, I, I like this idea that Jennifer just gets... I know Robert Zemeckis jokes, I never would have put her in the car, but I think that's probably what makes this plot the most complicated is mm. Jennifer being in the house and having to get her out and everything. Uh, there's also one more deleted scene, which I don't know if you've ever uh, watched the deleted scenes from, uh, where you ago. see this ripple effect happen because when Biff gets out of the cab, you think that he breaks his cane and he's grunting in pain because of that because you keep seeing him hiding behind the dumpster and he's grunting in pain. But that scene continues after Doc and Marty go back to 1985. You see Biff there continue to wince in pain, and then all of a sudden he just vanishes right on camera, which is supposed to be, oh, I changed the history, but obviously I die at some point. So uh, we actually do get to see how that ripple effect takes a while to catch up to them. I think this is basically a movie of three parts, so we just do it in three parts. So I'm just going to do the alternate future stuff right now. That makes most sense. So... Uh, they go back to what they believe is 1985 and uh, everything seemingly is normal. But then, of course, Marty uh, is going back into his house and he's like, oh, I don't remember there being bars here. And I don't remember there being a lock in here. <laughs> and Marty almost becomes like a neighbor. I definitely don't remember the teenage girls in my bed. <laughs> I was going to say, he basically becomes a rapist because he's broken into a teenage girl's room who loves Michael Jackson, by the way. I don't know about you, but I always notice yeah. all the Michael Jackson posts. We got beat got it. Got off the wall thriller. Yeah, we got beat it, obviously, uh, in the cafe 80s before as well. And did you? Sorry to interrupt. Did you notice that I had to see it on top subtitles, but she actually does scream rape at one point in the scene. Oh, does she? Help, dad, rape. But I, I love the dad. What are you doing in my daughter's room? Ah, oh, come here, yeah. you bastard. Like, I love it. And then later he blames it on realtors. You tell those realtors I'm not going to sell. We ain't going to be terrorized. Now they're, now they're sending people to rape our daughters. Um, <laughs> as long as it, but as long as it's not a flying car falling out of the sky hitting our husband. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a dystopian 1985. I do love like when he walks down and he sees like chalk outlines. Like, 
I know that was a thing back in the day when like to signify a body, but they just leave them on the sidewalk. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it looks a bit silly. Um, he looks at a newspaper and then we got Strickland. You're a slacker. I don't know who you are, but you look like a slacker. You've been stealing my newspaper. And then I love this. <laughs> I love these, like, 1985 Biff world. People are just doing drive-bys at his house. He's wearing a bulletproof vest. Um, well, but what makes this great is that you have drive-by shootings. You have all this chaos in the streets. And yet the things that the characters are most concerned about are realtors trying to buy their properties and people stealing their newspapers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a stand. That's why he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Um, yeah. Which is just funny. Um, but then we sort of see the town square and it says like bikers welcome because bikers are evil. Um, yeah. And like the everything there has just been taken over. And basically we're going to find out because we see Biff's, uh, Biff Tannen Museum and the Biff Casino. And this is where we get my opening line of America's greatest hero, Biff Tannen. <laughs> Started off by winning money, but then he uh, went on an untimely lucky streak. Now I've got to, I've got to admit, if this was in real life, and somebody kept winning this amount. I think by they're probably going to be like investigated. Um, yeah. Like, well, at the very least, they're going to assume he's fixing these games, yeah. and then they're just going to shut it down, not allow him to bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love the kind of thing where it says gambling legal. I always forget, like in the US, that gambling is not legal unless what, like Nevada or on like uh, Native American reserves. I Jersey. Know, I know Jersey. I know they're doing a lot more like online sort of shopping things and like that uh, online gambling things because I mean in Australia it's just commonplace uh is canada i can't remember canada is it a thing there i i'm we got a casino here in winnipeg um so i'm assuming it's legal i don't i don't know what levels there are that whether it's legal or not i this is not even uh about canada united states i know that uh in, in the philippines they have um you you could go to a like the the, the state fair that that type of thing and they'll have roulette tables because I work with a guy who actually his business was running roulette tables when you went to like the fair. Your kids are on the roller coaster and you're there playing roulette or blackjack. I actually remember there was a casino in Victoria, but Australia, like most pubs here, like most just like a hotel uh, venue, they have uh, poker machines. Like it's just it's just standard. Mm. It's just and you say let's go play the pokies. That's just standard. To me, I've I've never wasted money on it. I've, yeah. I've been in a casino too because they have like venues where they'll they'll have a concert in the casino. But like, what an incredible! I, I am not that lucky. <laughs> I want to waste no. even a dollar in a casino. <laughs> not not to throw my dad under the bus, but he's a bit of a gambler, and he um I mean took a risk. Is by he having... a cool gambler though? <laughs> uh, I mean, like I remember as a kid, like he he bets on horse races a lot, and I remember one time he like came in, he's like, hey, we won like I think he won like twenty five thousand thousand dollars on a horse race one time I was like kids what? are going out for dinner like i mean it's like sweet fuck yeah um, <laughs> $25,000 kids were going to mcdonald's the rest of it's all in his bank account no, we went to a nice pizza joint that night and he took his roller skating it was a great night i remember that um and then like the next day he took us shopping and i remember i remember one time we went camping because he'd buy the scratchy things and like literally he got this scratchy and he's like We've just won $250,000. It's like, what, what, what? And we're looking at, there's like a snakes and ladders. You had to do it a certain way. And we were like, we checked like a thousand times. And we're like, oh my God, oh my God. Like we're on a camping trip. We're going to go back home. We're rich. I was like 10. I'm like, oh my God, like, can you take me to the Grand Prix? Yes, Ben, we can go. We're like, blah, blah, blah. Went into the news agent, come out all sad. And he's like, yeah, I went the wrong direction one way. We didn't win anything. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I remember like he taking me to a poker machine and like, I, I'm if I gamble, it's like, it's a one-off and I just stop. Like, this, I mean, the time of recording this, the time of this releasing it was a couple of days ago. In a couple of days, we've got the, the biggest horse race in Australia. It's like Australia's Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Derby, whatever you call it, um, the Melbourne Cup. It's the first They call it the Hobart Derby. The Hobart Derby. It's the first Tuesday in every November. It's called the Race That Stops the Nation. And basically for like two minutes, everyone at three o'clock on the first Tuesday of November stops and watches the horse race and everybody like puts money on it. 
I've put money on it maybe twice in my life. Both times I like won maybe like 50 bucks, but that's enough for me. I'm like, cool. That'll, that, that'll do, donkey. Mm. That'll do. One time when I was in New Zealand, when Mallory and I would go grocery shopping, they sell lottery tickets in the grocery store. Every time we're like, let's get a ticket. Let's get a ticket. We never did. One day we're like, fuck it. We're getting a ticket. We won like a hundred bucks in the lottery. And we're like, yeah, that'll do. That's enough for me. My dad was like, I, I'm putting money in this poker machine. And like, you know, you put in like 50 cents. I got up to like 35 bucks. And I'm like, that'll do. Dad's like, no, nah, keep going. Keep going. Lost my $35 and I didn't win anything. I'm like, dad, I had 35 bucks. So that's the type of gambler I am. I, I, I remember uh, before I was married, long before I was married to Jamie, when we just worked together, uh, they were doing this thing where it's like, okay, well, if you, you know, uh, you know, make it like if you upsell somebody, like, well, we were just doing tech support, but it's like they're trying to get people to upsell on tech support. And, and they were offering insane prizes for just like iPods and stuff like that. And at one point it's like, we're just going to give out scratch tickets to people. And Jamie was like, you know what? I won't identify names. It's like somebody in your family who'd ha- had like a big gambling problem. And Jamie was like, I don't, I don't even want to go say I made a sale because I have no interest in a scratch ticket. Like she's basically upset about it. And I'm like, just tell them you're interested in gambling. And so she goes up and they're like, Oh yeah. So I, I, I just will forgo the scratch ticket or whatever. They're like, Oh, you know what? You still deserve something. Take a free break. And they just sent her on a free break. <laughs> I'm like, well, think about the money that you, the people getting scratch tickets, they're winning nothing. Yeah. And you just cleaned up with a 15 minute paid break. Good for you. <laughs> it's I, I, I knew people that would just get addicted to like scratch tickets. And it's, it's a big gift idea. Like people are like, oh, sell them, give them for your birthday. Oh, if you win yeah, like money, you're going to give me some. Like, ah, um, <laughs> I'm going to throw Noah under the bus right now. Noah's a bit of a gambler since he was staying with me. He bought like three lottery tickets. So, um, did he win anything? Well, he's, he's not with me anymore at the moment, so I haven't seen him in three days. <laughs> I won $250,000. He's going to come back tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, it was the other way. Sending with staying with rich family down on a beach at the moment. So, <laughs> oh, family, Ben, family. Uh, so anyway, Biff has gotten rich from gambling. He's been hooked to like Marilyn Monroe. I always thought one of those people in that video was Madonna, but it isn't. Um, and then we see he marries a love of his life, Lorraine. And Marty's like, no. Uh, I always love the comparisons. Now we get this to Donald Trump. Um, so yeah. uh, obviously Billy Zane's back. He actually speaks in this movie. <laughs> uh, we can do this a hard way or the easy way, son. And like knocks him out. We get this. Uh, Don't re- you love the, after that happens though, where the officer, you hear about the easy way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder what that is. Um, we get this rehash of the scene. We get in all the movies of like him waking up. It's like, Oh, I had a terrible yeah. dream. I dreamt that I was in the future and that I was here and there. And, oh, well, you're safe now. Right back up here on the 29th floor. The 29th floor! And it's like, <laughs> Mom, what happened? You're so big. Big. She's got massive boobs. Um, Those don't hold up in high def, by the way. You look at the, well, that is very clearly rubber or plastic. <laughs> oh, poor Leah Thompson. Um, so, oh, they weren't hers. <laughs> poor makeup person. But she's still an alcoholic. Um, we find out that George <laughs> McFly is dead. Uh, we've got Biff here basically bashing his mum and kid because he's like, you've come back from another boarding school in Switzerland. What have you done this time around? Um, and Lorraine's going to walk out on him, but he's going to cut off all of his uh, all the money. So poor old Lorraine's stuck here with Biff. It's a loveless marriage. I'm sure you know what that's like. Um <laughs> Uh, why was I just mean to call you? <laughs> Do you? Uh, yes. Uh, again, <laughs> one half of us was getting lots of love. It just wasn't with the person they were married to. Um, so uh, I, I love that, like, when basically Marty's trying to make sense of this and it's like, where's my real dad? Where's George McFly? The same place she's been for the last 10 years. I, 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 why is she, like, super old lady? Um, 
I'm so old. <laughs> oh, I'm back. Um, so basically, George is dead. We find the newspaper. Marty goes back to Doc, and we find out that we've created a, a hole in the space-time continuum that some point in history has changed and uh, that somehow Biff got the sports almanac and changed history. So Marty's got to go find out when this happened. So he goes and uh, confronts Biff, who's watching. What, which Clint Eastwood movie is this? It's uh, Fistful of Dollars. Fistful of Dollars, where we've got a bit of a precursor for the next movie where he's got a bulletproof vest and uh, Biff's watching it. Ah, bulletproof vest. <laughs> um, watching in a hot tub with big boob women. Uh, again, future. well, I mean, I guess it's the 80s. You could probably do it in the 80s still, but, like, you know, a lot of people just watch stuff in the bath. I don't know about you, but I do. Um, I've always <laughs> wanted a TV in my bathroom. Uh, that's just epitome of laziness, but whatever. You know, this, this, I'll, I'll admit something now. If I ever do take a bath, I'm putting something on my phone. It's usually, like, Yellowstone or 1923, one of those shows right now. Uh, but it's not often I take a bath. It's usually like after man. a long, well, it's, it's like after an, after a very, very long run where I'm like, I don't feel like standing in a shower. I'll just run a bath and I'll put on like Kevin Costner, Harrison Ford, and then watch that for 15, 20 minutes. I've had a hard day. I'm going to have a soak yeah. in the bath and watch Harrison. So I watch some Yellowstone. <laughs> no one mocked me for my bath when he's here. Cause I got my candles in my bath ready to go. And last night, oh, was- see, that, 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 this old man takes a bath. He puts on Yellowstone or 1923. I put on like background vocal trance music and have bubbles and read a book. <laughs> Um, what's wrong with that? I had a bath last night. The I Kama been, Sutra. <laughs> haven't been able to have a bath in a week and a half because Noah's been here. So I had one last night. It was great. You um, can close the door. I'm not going to have a bath. He mocks me. He mocks you for my hanky. He mocks me for my <laughs> okay, bath. Well, I don't blame him. He's going to be sealing the door. Ha, ah, you're having a bath. Um, <laughs> shut up, Noah. Go buy a lottery ticket. Um, I'm going to tell a fun story. Now, I'm going to throw him under the bus. You do it. And I don't give a shit because he doesn't listen to this and nobody listens to this. Cable might listen to this because he likes Back to the Future. Hello, Cable. But this is a funny story. Now, remember back when I was with a certain person, I had only been dating her for a short time and we uh, went out for dinner with Noah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know the story. And Noah was looking at a certain part of my said partner and was all like, oh, no, I deny that. I deny that. I never did that. I never did that. <laughs> We were out for dinner the other night. I'm not going to say with who because I don't want to throw other people <laughs> under the bus. But we were with... Of, I know where this is going. We were with a female, okay? Now, afterwards, he made a comment, and I'm not going to say, but it related <laughs> to looking at a certain part of her body, to which I said I didn't because that's a bit <laughs> obvious, to which I was like, I definitely did. So then I'm like, well, that kind of backed our theory about that night that you were looking at them. Oh, I never did that. I never did that. <laughs> Mallory that night had an open cut top, which was a quite clear that you were saying. I remember you telling me that Jamie was like, oh, she's got really nice boobs. Like, I mean, it was. Well, a- no, when I told Jamie that story about Noah, where it's like, oh, apparently Noah's just staring down her shirt or whatever. Jamie's like, well, they are very big and distracting. <laughs> Very obvious. Whereas Lan- the person involved in this <laughs> involved was wearing was, like basically a yeah. sweater. Um, so I'm just saying, evidence backs up. Evidence. I did. I did see the picture, and then as soon as you started telling the story, I'm like, oh, please don't tell me no one's looking. <laughs> I'm sorry to throw him under the bus. I know it's a horrible thing to do. I'm never going to tell him I threw him under the bus. He's never listening to this. Um, but it just... But the other guy with you was definitely gentlemanly enough to not look. Oh, what a man he is. He hasn't been on the show in a long time. But I just, I needed to tell you that. I was going to tell you off air, but I'm like, we're, we're having a moment here. 
Um, so just saying, Noah, just eye level. All right, just and, and they held up in high def, not like Leah Thompson's. <laughs> <laughs> We're a terrible podcast. No one listens to this shit. This is why how bad we are. Um, so anyway, uh, Marty confronts Biff. Uh, basically gets the whole set. Now, I always thought this was just a bit over the top, the way, like, Biff always just openly tells him, like, I went back on this day and this is what I did and it's kind of very Bond villain, like, ah, ha, ha, but you're going to die. But, like, then it kind of does retcon itself by the fact that Biff is like, oh, and I was told that either an old man or a young kid might show up and that I have to kill them straight away. So it's kind of just like one Mm -hmm. of these things where it's like, he's Biff, he's gloating like he's going to say it. Of course he is. Um, we see Marty take a match box, a box of matches, which I always remember watching the first time going, huh? But obviously that's going to come into play, particularly next movie. Um, and then I love the bit when, uh, so basically he goes to the roof, uh, he's going to get killed, but he gets saved by the DeLorean and, uh, Marty gets rescued. And I love one of my favorite bits of all the back to the future movies is like, doc, I found out when we've got to go back. You're not going to believe it. We have to go back to 1955. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I always love things like that. Um, and then I love Doc when he's just basically like, wow, uh, November whatever, 1955 could be like the, a very pivotal moment in the time-space continuum. Or it could just be a very convenient, a big convenience. <laughs> Coincidence, yeah. And, and then we also see like him banging the thing where like we see it kind of flash back to 1885 and then back and it's like, oh, I've got to mm-hmm. fix that. Um, and then we land back in 1955. Mr. Sandman. Um, so yeah, all the, the alternate future stuff before I fastball it for the last 45 minutes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't call this a plot hole though. It's, I always question once you watch this movie once, uh, why Marty spends a lot of time before he actually climbs in and tries to rape a girl, uh, not noticing how different everything is in these franchises. (laughs) Rape last movie, rape this movie. Is there any rape in the third one? There'd better be some of the third or we're going to be very let down now. I know. (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, like everything looks different. Like you can see the graffiti on the side of like the Lions Estate sign. Uh, when he's in Jennifer's house, I love that he's like, I never noticed these bars on these windows and not like the giant smashed up, you know, rusted car that is right next to the swing. Yeah. Like I guess a little bit of trauma going on right now. He's a little bit more focused on Jennifer and all that. Uh, but there's there's a lot of things that should set him off. And then he, when he sees the lock on the gate too, like that, what about all the garbage on the streets and everything? And I don't know how close Jennifer lives to Marty. Uh, I mean, it's obviously walking distance. We saw a walk up in the first one, but like this neighborhood doesn't look too good. So the, the, as they're driving through the streets, he's probably should have been like, man, they didn't notice how filthy this neighborhood <laughs> I lived in. Has it always been like this, Doc? Uh, but uh, this is that moment in the first one where I'm like, there are things where they could almost make you look back on it and think that it was planned from the beginning. Like the fact that Marty's window is open in the first movie, the exact same amount of space that this girl's window was open in this movie. And we see that's how he gets in and out in the middle of the night. So this is just second nature. I would do that. Um, I, there's only a mother, uh, a father, and then two kids, a boy and a girl who are sharing a room here. But like, we know that like, at least we, I guess, suspected that, uh, that Dave and Linda both live with their parents still in the first movie. This is not a two-bedroom house. Where are the other kids? Are they sleeping through this? Or did they just make their kids, boy and girl, teenage boy and girl, share a room while they've got two other empty bedrooms? I mean, maybe these parents don't share. They have separate bedrooms. Who knows? Uh, But, uh, but yeah, I always think it's hilarious. First, he's talking about, what are you doing in my daughter's room? Taking the bat to him. There's a lot of great aggression. Just like in the first movie, like, you believe the fights. Like, we talked about how Eric Stoltz actually had injured Thomas F. Wilson getting too aggressive. 
and that they they were really holding back when they were doing it. They even on one of the documentaries, Thomas and Wilson is basically commended for being like the best fake fighter that anybody had ever seen where he can make it look like he is killing a man. But meanwhile, he's like, he's the most gentle person you've ever been in a fake fight with. Uh, but uh, the way this guy's swinging the bat, I'm like, he's get, this is like Eric Stolten here. Like somebody tell this guy to calm down. Uh, one of the two songs in the movie, like we don't actually have a ZZ Topper theme song for this movie. We get the Sammy Hagar song. I can't drive 55 here, uh, which fits perfectly as you're seeing like all the chaos around you and everything. Uh, I, I never quite understood. On. No, they should have swapped these. Yeah, this is where it's like, Papa loves Mambo. <laughs> Papa loves Mambo. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Biff Museum, uh, you can notice little details. Like there's like refinery plants in the background. And when they're going through the history of like uh, Biff's success, they talk about like nuclear uh, power plants. And then there is basically like oil refineries and everything. Uh, and then you see that constantly throughout this movie. Like when they're at the graveyard, you still see like these smokestacks in the background. Like mm. basically Hill Valley is all industrial at this point. Uh, the Strickland uh, role is great because, again, it's kind of a subtle joke where you've got gang warfare going on and he's just worried about who's stealing his newspaper. Uh, this is also clearly in like the middle of the night. Like, what is this? Maybe one in the morning, mm. if that. Why his newspaper has been delivered. And, and what's the date? It's October 26th. So this is yesterday's newspaper that he hasn't bothered to pick up yet. <laughs> who cares if it's stolen? It's, it's, your new, your, but your new newspaper is supposed to be dropped off in three hours. Like, if somebody's stealing it, it's because you're not using it. <laughs> like these news a day old. Yeah. Uh, but the way on the first movie, Michael J. Fox was uh, basically shooting Family Ties during the day, Back to the Future night, and pulling these all-nighters. It was the same thing for James Tolkien, who plays Strickland with this movie, because he was filming Back to the Future at nights, and then he was filming the movie Dick Tracy during the day. With who, so about with this who Colin? Like, with who? With, with uh, Warren Beatty and Al Pacino. And who else? Dustin Hoffman. And who else? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that Thomas F. Wilson who might be in the there somewhere. Who was the female lead in that movie, Colin? Oh, who was the female lead in that movie? I think it was Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah. Uh, I, the one standing next to Biff. That's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is funny, though. They got Marilyn Monroe there, but he ends up marrying Lorraine, of all people. Uh, I just love the idea of this vendetta that he's had against George the whole time. Because this movie does make you question that 1985 weak Biff where it's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. McFly, because we don't see that he's a changed man after he gets knocked out by George. If anything, he mm. gets more aggressive and more of a bully with Marty. Of course that has a lot to do with the sports almanac and everything. Uh, but then why is he biding his time? Like he could still be making money uh, over the, what the three years it takes for him to actually turn 21 to gamble uh, in 1958 by just betting kids at school. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would think the sports almanac would probably just make him even more powerful, even in high school. I mean, Again, you would remember school. you would remember certain things. Again, so even him getting knocked out and stolen in this movie, like it's still yeah, yeah. Uh, although the, a lot of people who do complain about, oh, how come Lorraine and George don't recognize Marty? You know, thirty years later, that their son looks exactly like this guy they knew for a week. Uh, it checks out because here Biff doesn't even remember what the guy. He, even when he says when Marty comes up to him, it's like, oh yeah, this. this old man who said we were distantly related i don't see any resemblance right yeah uh and he even doesn't recognize marty here you know like it's just, yeah. that's just the way it is it's 30 years later you're not gonna recognize these people uh there's a deleted scene where marty goes to the casino so right after he watches this whole slideshow before he gets knocked out he runs into his brother dave we have mark mcclure with oh, a cameo yeah yeah and it's actually i, I kind of remember being like a funny scene because dave is like just a drunk outside there but it's actually kind of a really sad scene where um he comes stumbling out and Marty's talking to him and Dave's obviously drunk. He goes, hey, Marty, come buy me a drink, buy me a drink. 
And then Marty's like, you got to tell me what's happening here. Where's mom and where's dad? And then you see Dave actually basically get a tear in his eyes. Like, where's dad? Where's dad? And it's like, I don't need to tell you where dad is. And then he's like, and as for mom, she's exactly where she always is. And he points inside there right after Dave got kicked out. And it's basically, you see, it's actually a really sad scene watching him. Uh, same with the Lorraine scenes. Uh, Leah Thompson, what she uh, described on like the Blu-ray documentaries was that when they were filming this, she didn't think much of it at all. She was basically very stressed out because she didn't know if she could play this very uh, you know, abused woman who's uh, you know uh, drunk and uh, you know, her husband takes advantage of her and, and abuses her kids or mistreats her kids and all that. Uh, this this wounded widow. Uh, but it was only after the, when the movie came out, she watched, she's like, man, I'm really good in these scenes. And I agree. Like, this is the probably the only dramatic stuff she gets in these movies. She's usually more on the lighthearted side of these movies, except when she's getting raped. Uh, but th this scene with, with Biff, uh, you know, saying like, oh, oh your your idiot son and your, your daughter all cancel credit cards and, uh, uh, you know, maybe all your kids can end up in jail like your brother Joey. Uh, Thomas F. Wilson and Leah Thompson both kill it in that scene. Uh, and th this series doesn't have a lot of like real drama. This one, especially, this is where I was going to say that if I had to pick one that was my least favorite of the, the trilogy, it might be this only because this movie is so heavy on the plot and so low on like emotional drama. Whereas the first one had the, the conflict of you have this sad life and then you have to learn to stand up for yourself and all that. Uh, seeing his parents be not who they, they should be. In this one, it's all driven by the plot. And the plot, as I said, is amazing in this movie, but you miss a lot of the heart in this movie. You only really get it in this scene with, with Lorraine, where she's even telling Marty about your dad's where he's been for the last 15 years or whatever in the, in the cemetery. And then uh, the scene that Marty has with Doc when he's in the first, just when he's on his own at the grave and he's reading it and he's like, oh, please, God, no. And Doc coming in all dramatically, like th that's a great scene. Doc's shop. Now, I, I tried to find the, the timestamp on the newspaper because you have the George McFly murdered newspaper, which I mentioned last week. It says author murdered, although the first movie they say your novel was just published, which I guess would imply he was writing short stories or something like that before uh, you know, the end of the first movie. Uh, because obviously here, what, 10 years earlier uh, or 12 years earlier, he already was listed as an author. Uh, but uh, the, the newspaper the Doc has where he said he was committed. Is there a date on that? I can have a look. Because George's was obviously like 1973, I think, uh, or 1971, whatever it is, the same year that, uh, that him and Lorraine were married. Uh, and, and that's another thing where it's like a small detail that's like it's kind of sad if you actually watch it. Because you see George was murdered in like March of 73 and then Lorraine's marrying Biff the same year. Uh, but uh, I just wonder, like, Doc's lab, like, it's still there. Everything's there. Einstein is there. Where's the the real Einstein, you know? Because he had Einstein with him when he came back to this time period. So is, is there's an empty kettle? Yes, I get it now. <laughs> uh, in a garden, having a conversation with Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, his lab still exists. Obviously, it's, like, run down and everything. But, like, it had to have. It couldn't have been that long ago. Otherwise, I would think this building's been bulldozed or something and taken over by a refinery plant. May 20-something, I think it's just 1983, maybe? Oh, so it's recent enough that it's not like a plot hole that it still exists. Um, and, and you got to wonder, are those people who are at the, the mental institution right now, where when this history gets changed, suddenly the doc that's been in an asylum in a straitjacket just disappears in front of their eyes because now doc has come back with it. what happens in those situations where you have these alternate futures you create or alternate presence you create. Uh, but uh, th that, again, it ties into the whole thing about, oh, a crazy scientist. So at some point, Biff worked out that Doc Brown would be this scientist. So he had him committed, I guess, is what the, the plot's yeah. supposed to be. 
because there's nothing else. There's no other reason that he would have to get committed. Um, but I just love the way the doc explains how this all happened. He draws the diagram. You know, at some point, you know, the timeline skewed to create this alternate 1985. And then you're you're answering the audience's questions at the same time. Like this would have been an incredibly complicated skip script to write and have make sense to people. But then you have lines like where Marty's like, "All right, well, we'll just go back to the future and we'll stop old Biff from taking the almanac." He goes, "No, because if we go back there now, it's the alternate 2015, so we have to go back to this point." Um, it, originally in the original draft of the script, it wasn't, uh, and this is one of these improvements. It wasn't Marty who goes to Biff to do it. It was doc who basically makes an anonymous phone call to Biff. I know about the almanac, like <laughs> some type of disguised voice that wouldn't have worked at all. But, uh, this dramatic scene where, where Marty goes in there and he's throwing the remote in the hot tub, like, uh, the party's over girls. <laughs> or he apologizes to the girls. Um, uh, I did see this movie, the, the whole trilogy, like a fistful of dollars. If I you don't want more. On the back, back to the future and this, uh, wow. but uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, like was the third part. This one, the fistful of dollars. The first time I saw this, I wasn't even sure. I just always knew this was a Clint Eastwood movie. And I remember one night it was like late night on TV, a fistful of dollars is on and I'm watching it. And I see this guy. I'm like, wait, is that the guy from back to the future? Like not the other guy who's shooting him. And I'm watching it. I'm like so excited only to see that. Like they basically condensed a five minute scene down to about 10 seconds. And it throws me off. Cause I just watched a fistful of dollars again, like last year. And I'm still just wondering, oh, I like the Back to the Future version better. Like the timing is quicker, you know? Uh, but yeah, this is one of the the few setups for the third movie. Like we even saw the Buford thing uh, when they're in the museum, right? Which he looks different in that because they literally film these back to back. So they had to get a picture of Buford to play in the, when this movie came out. Although they had, by the time they actually filmed part three, they're like, well, we want a different look that's less aggressive looking for Buford, which is why he kind of looks different in that. Um, yeah, and then this scene, why he explains the entire story to him, because it literally doesn't matter. He probably wants to, because he he asked Marty, tell me what you know about that book. And Marty says, first, tell me how you got it, which explains why he tells the story. But the plot hole to me isn't why he tells him this, because he does need to know, is this the kid who I'm supposed to kill? It's the fact that he still never waits for Marty to tell him what he knows about the book. So he didn't have to tell him that story, because the only reason he told him the story was so that Marty told him the book, and Martin never tells him about the book or whatever. Um, oh no! I'll I'm get into. Side. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into not not plot hole, but like thing that makes you scratch your head about the matchbook later on. I love how dangerous this thing is. And Marty throws it like a frisbee, and we have like one mm -hmm. of the many things like, "What's that, guys?" Like he does it with the gang later on too, uh, knocking them all over. Um, this shot where they have him going off the roof too. I remember seeing that for the first time. Like my heart dropped in the theater where he jumps off the side of the ledge. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, did they just end the trilogy here? <laughs> they did. Uh, but it's such a... Da, 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 da. <laughs> but, but there's like, so yeah, that's one of those things where they have with Star Wars where uh, they'll just... Uh, direct, written directed by George Lucas yeah. at the end of a movie. <laughs> uh, middle of a scene. But yeah, there's so many like these great heroic moments in these movies. Like even with, with Doc where he comes to the graveyard, he's like, so you'll tell me what happened on this day? Yes, Marty, I know. And then uh, this part here where the DeLorean comes up and Marty's got his, like, his arms crossed, like superhero pose here. It's so great. Um, yeah, the, the alternate 85 stuff, like it is dark. It is like almost too dark. And I think that's why it's so good. You have the 1955 and the 2015 stuff that is so goofy and fun on both goofy. sides of that. Because it is very goofy. <laughs> I'm goofy. But uh, it, it's very much like The Empire Strikes Back. And Spielberg uh, has talked about in interviews because, I mean, his associate with this movie is he just tells them, do what you want to do, and I'll just kind of lend my name the beginning. to it. Steven Spielberg presented presents. by. <laughs> Wish I had that but, power. Uh, ben Waterworth presents. <laughs> cool. But but Spielberg Spielberg uh, has always said like Back to the Future Two 
his input was you should make this dark like the empire strikes back which is the same as like temple of doom and everything like that but if you watch those other movies we just covered temple of doom the first act of temple of doom is like cartoony funny mm. the last act is cartoony funny it's just that middle section and it's the same thing with like empire strikes back has a lot of the comedy right at the beginning before you get to the dark stuff but if you just watch this 1985 stuff like it is depressing to watch and i mean credit to the actors especially thomas f wilson for pulling this off because this all hinges on him being able to be like the most despicable villain you've ever seen and another thing they got accurate this is what trump's america was like so um yeah exactly this, instead of storming the Capitol, they're storming the casino steps. Which, again, it's another reason why I really like this movie. I, I like a movie with an alternative, like, future or, like, an alternative, like, storyline. Yeah. It, it just things that interest me. And one thing, too, that we, we talked about a couple of months ago, and since we've talked about the film, it's come out and it's been retconned and people are hating on it, is The Flash. The Flash is getting yeah. so much hate as a terrible film. And I disagree completely. And, like, we talked about how that was maybe the best time travel movie since Back to the Future in doing yeah. a lot of things right. Back to the Future is pl- part of the plot of that movie. <laughs> exactly. And we talked about Ezra Miller and bouncing off each other and now that's maybe one of the best abilities mm-hmm. of acting off each other. Like, I mean, I don't think people ever give credit enough to actors who have to act off a fake version of themselves in yeah. the same scene. And, like, sometimes it's terrible, but, like, this is, like, this movie, again, it's just, as I said before, when you've got actors playing multiple characters and you legitimately believe, I don't know how familiar you are with the works of Chris Lilly, but what makes Chris Lilly so good when it comes to his like TV shows is that you are watching a show on six different characters played by one man, but every single Mm. character feels like a different character in their own world. And that's what's in. And and like, yeah. And unlike something like the nutty professor where you can just get an actor who is crazy and do all this, you got three guys who Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. He's done a lot of like these big over the top, you know, characters, but his background is theater. Michael J. Fox's background is sitcoms. Thomas F. Wilson's background is guest stars on sitcoms. You've got three actors in this movie who have to do large scenes acting opposite themselves with very, very bulky technology cameras that have to be pre-programmed, and yet their performances are incredible. And that's what makes movies like Back to the Future so endearing is when you've got these actors who, like, yeah, I can imagine it's annoying for actors who are trying to establish themselves and, and have a good body of work who are always just referred to as one person. I mean, bringing back Matthew Perry again, when he dies, Mm -hmm. what's that target is? Friends, Matthew Perry, Chandler Bing, all that sort of stuff. He did other things. Um, The whole nine yards was a big movie, but everybody forgets it. Exactly. I mean, he he was nominated for Emmys for his time on like the West Wing and all that kind of stuff. Like he had other bodies. That studio Sunset Strip show, it only lasted a season, but has a massive cult following. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, they've got other elements. So it's going to be the same with any of the other Friends actors. But like the other side of that though, is that, like we've talked about how the cast embraces this and there is mm-hmm. a line there. I get it. I get why someone like Daniel Craig is maybe very anti bond and maybe he'll come back to it 30 years later. Sean Connery, they went on to establish themselves though outside of it. Harrison Ford is a classic example of that. He has two of the most iconic movie characters of all time. Yeah. People know him as that, but they also know him for other things. So anyway. Air Force One and the Fugitive. <laughs> I actually, I watched, uh, I watched a very interesting uh, video on YouTube, which you'd actually probably enjoy. It was just uh, like a 15 minute short about, basically Titanic, how it was, you know, maybe the most, uh, the biggest surprise of all time. And the whole video was just about how like this movie was going to flop. We talked about it way back when we Mm. did it. And a lot of that came down to like when they moved it to November and they were like, and they didn't want to put it in July against films like Air Force One. I'm like, ah. And then they talked a lot about it. they put it opposite Bond. (laughs) Well, they talked a lot about that. They said like, yeah, so they risked putting it up against a James Bond film. Um, So... Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so let's get to all the stuff then, which, again, famous last words. I don't think this will take long because it's really the same as the first movie. 
There's just a few. There's little... very little dialogue in the third act too. It's a lot of chase scenes. It's 42 minutes worth, but we'll get there. Um, so basically, they're back in the 50s, and we have to try and stop Biff from getting the almanac, and we're going to recreate it because I, I like that line that when Doc is going on about like, because um, Marty says, "Well, let's just go back to 2015 and prevent old Biff from giving the book." But then Doc is like, "Well, no, because if we go to 2015 now, it's going to be the 2015 we're in right now, like the version of the time where yeah. we're, we're in a different line on the space-time continuum." So, back in the 50s, um, I love the bit where, like, Doc's like, um, remember, our old selves are still here, so you need to go and get yourself a disguise. And then we've got, like, Marty in, like, a spy outfit with a fedora and, like, a little suit. He's got the walkie-talkies. Doc, Doc, Doc. Something inconspicuous. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Biff. And this is Biff's shirt. I love this, like, black and red shirt he's got. Like, I'd wear that today. This is in the 50s. I froze frame it here because there's a scene when he's coming out of the auto store and he's like talking to the guy about $300 for my car. Um, he's Jerry Seinfeld now. Um, <laughs> I love that there's a sign for like US Army recruiting office, second floor. The subtitle on that says, job for a man. Uh- <laughs> also, um, uh, I forgot about this earlier, but one of the things in the background where in 2015 is that surf Vietnam billboard. Mm which was the one thing that Spielberg said, you guys have gone too far. This is one thing that will never come true. And of course, now Vietnam is a surfing hotspot. But there's also something else, like right by that that army billboard, where there's a travel agency that's promoting vacations to Cuba, which I thought was mm. really funny. Because a couple years after this, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Noah, when we did the commentary for Die Another Day, shut up about Raul. We actually just... Um, We've been playing. Oh, he was great. We've been playing Lego Star Wars, and we've been putting on old 007 episodes to listen in the background. So we re-listened to the um the song episode, which was hilarious. And we've just we're in the midst of listening to the Allies episode, which can I just say is freaky that we predict the future more than like the Simpsons. So in that episode, you're making fun of my marriage and saying, "Hey, that's not going to last." We said a month; it's still got time to end so quickly. So <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, and the <laughs> other one is that like Noah makes reference to No Time to Die. And he literally says, oh, and that whole plot line about Bond having a son, now <laughs> wrong gender. But then we were like, oh, ha, ha, ha they're not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, hello, hello. <laughs> Earth amicus. I'm doing Zoolander now. Um, but very forward predicting we are in that episode. I thought it was funny. Um, so we kind of see, like, again, this is what I like about this movie. We kind of see other things that happened in the first movie that we didn't see. So we've got Biff, like, molesting Lorraine in the street. Like, she's gotten a frock to the dress. And it's like, you'll see one day, Lorraine. One day, you'll be my wife. You're going to go with me. Um, and then this is where he meets um, Biff, uh, his older self. And this is where he's going to tell him about the almanac. And we sort of get a bit of a line where he's kind of like, oh, no one can start this car but me. Um, By the way, I, I got to interrupt you there because I forgot to mention this earlier. Um, so that's Charles Fleischer who plays that guy, who's the voice of Roger Rabbit. He also plays the 2015 Clock Tower guy. Uh, oh, the Cubs winning the World Series, uh, 100 to one shot. Uh, that's supposed to be the same character. Oh, there is a deleted. There's a deleted scene which you can still see online. Uh, I think it's on the DVD or the Blu-ray release. Where after he's giving Marty the pitch about the clock tower, he says, "Oh yeah, the, this guy here. I once had to clean manure out of his car, and he walks right up on old Biff detailing a car. Oh. So this guy is supposed to be the clock tower guy in 2015, like 60 years later. Didn't know that. I need to rewatch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think actually this was a similar thing, like with 
how I, I saw this because of Jurassic Park 3. From memory, when the DVD box set of this came out, they were re-formatting like formatting Roger Rabbit to come out on DVD. Mm-hmm. So from memory, there was like a trailer and a thing on this DVD, which I was like, oh, what's that? And then so like I watched that and I wouldn't say I love it as much as Back to the Future, but I remember I used to watch it a bit when I was like 15, 16. I'm like, this is a really clever movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. So very ahead of its time. And rest in peace to, what's his name, Bob, the guy. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, I liked him. Mario from Mario Brothers as well. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is where we kind of see Biff explaining to Biff. Essentially, Marty gets locked in the garage because he's trying to get the uh, the almanac. Doc, meanwhile, is uh, trying to get things prepped. We're going to the um, we're going to the dance, and I love how like Doc comes to save Marty. Like, what has he been doing all day? Uh, like, he finally <laughs> rescues him now. They're all wearing fedoras because you know it's the fifties. So shut up, Noah. This is the bag out Noah episode, but he's not here. I've got frustrations to let out for the last week. He's great house guest. Anytime, Noah. Um, so he's almost as good of a house guest as you are a host. Yeah, true. Thank you. That's that's um, yep. Um, my my alongside the sports almanac, my other biggest like gripe in this film is when Marty's in the back of Biff's car and talking on a walkie-talkie, and Biff doesn't hear. Yeah. Like it's like. Come in, Doc. Doc, 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 I'm here. I'm here, Doc. And every now and then Biff's like, huh? Like, come on. Yeah, like, he he has a blanket there. All he has, he, He's literally covered under a blanket. Why can't he talk under the blanket? Like, Stuck. Yeah, exactly. Plus that walkie-talkie's out. Stuck. Yeah. Um, so Marty's obviously trying to get... This is where we've got a bit of Biff. Papa loves mumbo. Papa loves mumbo. Ah, <laughs> oh, Perry Como. Bring him back. Um, I also kind of like this moment where Doc's like meeting himself... And it's like, oh, could you pass me a seven-eighth wrench? Oh, don't you mean a fifth-eighth yeah. wrench? Oh, very clever. I see this is some weather equipment you've got there. Oh, you know. And I, although I do kind of like the line when he kind of says like, oh, it was nice talking to you. Perhaps we'll bump into each other again in the future sometime. And it's like, you mean in the past. Or the past. <laughs> like, it's a bit like, huh? That line make, kind of makes no sense. But but, and, and th- well, and there was also that line um, when they were uh, going over like the whole timeline thing. Where Marty's like, oh, this was all my fault. And Doc's like, oh, it's in the past. And Marty's like, you mean the future? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like those bits. It's like what you said before about the line of like, it feels like I was just here yesterday. You were yeah. just here yesterday. <laughs> um, but so we're going to see the dance from the other perspective now because Marty is trying to get the almanac from Biff. Uh, so he's kind of like having to hide and see. Then uh, Biff goes outside to uh, read some porn. Um <laughs> Which, Ooh la la! Which is what we did in the fifties, kids. Um, well, because I was there. Um, I love Strickland. Like Strickland's a bit of a like. I don't know how I take him in this scene because like I like how he goes off here on on Biff. But then he grabs the porn and then basically goes into his like straight away goes. Oh ooh, la la! I haven't seen this one. Straight to my office uh, <laughs> to drink some whiskey. But I mean, he does such a good job here, Strickland, when he's like in the office and you see him like sitting there and like looking through the window and he like sees kids playing up. He's like, huh? I'm like, hmm. Yeah. What are those kids up to? Scallywags. That's what Jamie's like every time somebody walks down the street. Hey, Hey. those kids look suspicious. Yo, get off my street. Um, So Marty's trying to get the almanac off Strickland's desk. He doesn't get it, but eventually Strickland throws it in the trash. Uh, We see him get it and we think, oh yeah, finally he's got the almanac. But then we realize, oh la la, oh la la. Which that's the type of porn Colin would look at. Women just scantily clad in some white <laughs> that's, clothing. 
That's like the Sears catalog porn. <laughs> it's like lifting you. It's like the whole lifting the ankles. That was that Simpsons episode. It's like, I can see your ankles. Ah. Yeah. Or, or the, the Weird Al video for Amish Paradise where they're looking at uh, the playgirl that just has them rolling their, their skirt up their ankle. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, was kind of a thing. Um, so, yeah. But so then Marty obviously realizes that Biff's still got the magazine. We see the fight from the other angle from uh, Crispin Glover, non-Crispin Glover. Are you okay? Like yeah. knocking him out. And then we get my favorite character in the Back to the Future trilogy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you just stole his wallet. I think he stole his wallet. Next scene. <laughs> that kid stole his wallet. He definitely stole his wallet. I love that kid. Who is he? I found him earlier. I'm going to look for it. Keep talking because I found him. Uh, I, I closed the page, but I did find who this actor was. I just love that. Like there's an audition, right? Okay. You play kid. He's in this alternative universe from the 1955 <laughs> version. And you are going to be very concerned that he stole his wallet. Now the one bit when he says, I'm um, like, Oh, I'm just giving him CPR. What's CPR? And he punches him. Was CPR not a thing in 1955? Apparently not. I mean, like I, I, I would fact check that, but I mean, I think generally a lot of these jokes that they land generally work. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Um, so Marty gets the almanac. Um, and just as we think everything's going to be done and saved, uh, we see that Billy Zane and crew are chasing after him. So we kind of get a high wire act of um, Marty having to escape from Billy Zane and the 3D glasses kid. I love Marty when he's just like seeing himself play the guitar. He's just kind of like, hmm, yeah, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's kind of just always my funny, like Michael J. Wait, Fox is such a good facial expression. Uh, earlier too, when he walks in the dance and he's just trying to like blend in, and then there's this couple who's dancing right next to him. He gives him this look like, "Hey!" <laughs> yeah. Um, just again, subtle little Michael J. Fox little things that he does, which is really really good. Um, but he ends up saving the day from himself getting taken out, um, and then he rushes off to try and get the almanac back, almanac back Jack, and then he gets uh, punched out by Biff, who then sees two Martys. He's confused. Uh, there's a car chase on the hoverboard. Uh, Biff is listening to the oh. radio and he's still kind of hearing like the sports scores and he's all like, oh, wait, like, you know, this is still happening. Uh, Marty eventually gets the almanac back and Biff runs into manure again, which I was like, manure, <laughs> I hate manure. But this time it's coming out of his mouth. Yeah, which, I mean, in the making of, what was that? I'm guessing just dirt or... Oh, they didn't say it. I'm, I'm hoping this isn't like, uh, what, 1900 where they literally have it. <laughs> running Ugh. a horse's butthole. Um, so by getting it, he burns the almanac. He sees the past is changing. The matchbox is changing. The newspapers are changing. And then, again, I remember watching this for the first time. Again, I watched all th these three in the first night. I'm like, fuck, what happened? Like, oh, I want to see more. And you had to wait, what, like a year for this. But Marty, uh, Doc's like hovering around. There's a lightning storm still because it's obviously that night in 1955. And uh, nearly gets hit by lightning. He's like, lol, nearly got hit by lightning. That would have been awkward. Then pew, pew disappears uh and then you're kind of like shit what's marty gonna do he's stuck in 1955 and this car shows up it's like are you marty mcfly now this guy's off something tell me this guy's That's, off something yeah joe flaherty so he's canadian he's on uh sctv which is like the the canadian saturday night live very big show a lot of people john candy came out of that um i i don't know what else he, he was on a tv show i think it was called maniac mansion uh it was like a Family Channel was the network here in Canada at the time, but it was produced by George Lucas. It was like this really weird, zany sci-fi show kind of for kids. Uh, so SCTV was what he did. He actually had been in 1941 for Robert Zemeckis and used cars. So he was a Robert Zemeckis guy. He just didn't make it in the first movie. 
uh, Happy Gilmore. He was Donald, the ah, jeering fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the jackass guy. He's the guy in the crowd who, like, um, Shooter McGavin. He's the one who, like, pays him money, and he's the one who just stands in the crowd. It's like, nice shot, you jackass. That's him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he he also played the the, the lead the lead characters on Freaks and Geeks. He played their dad on Freaks and Geeks. So, right. yeah. I that this show Maniac Mansion though it's funny because as I was watching this I'm like what was that Canadian show he was on I don't know if it actually was Canadian because it was like George Lucas literally created this show this was like the one thing he wrote outside of it uh, um, but uh, it was it was a really uh, out there show I, I gotta try to find some clips of this and send it to you was Breaks and Geeks a Hayden Christensen one. No, that was uh that was a show called Higher Ground. Right. Uh, Freaks the... and Geeks was Linda Carlini, who ended up being on like the Marvel oh, yeah. movies and ER and Bloodline. Yeah, her Seth Rogen started on I it. Knew, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that guy, um, oh, what's his name? The, the, How I Met Your Mother guy, who's Seth Rogen. Oh, um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jason Segel. Jason Segel. Segel, stop it now. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> and wasn't um stop it, ja- James Franco in that as well? James Franco, yeah. Has he been formally cancelled or has he come back? Like, uh, we should get what's his name on here and ask uh the, 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 not no the dumb tommy wiseau's friend uh, oh yeah great well uh, yeah. mark let's I, get him back on possibly will be because i did message him and uh he's keen yeah. to do another chat when um, i'm in town when he's in town i'm seeing him live in like three weeks so uh we'll see how that goes uh so anyway doc's uh disappeared and this uh happy gilmore jackass guy shows up and he's basically like you marty mcfly i've got a letter for you uh, we've had it sitting in our offices for 70 years, and uh, we all had a bet whether this is going to show up. I guess I lost. Now, I like this idea of it, but at the same time, Doc put a lot of faith on Western Union existing in 70 years' time. Like, if I went to half these companies now that fail well, all the time, so... Um, I, I think he knew because he lived through Western oh, Union thanks, still existing ben. in Good the job. 80s. Good job. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Ben's intelligence levels are going quite well there. Oh, how did Doc know that Apple computers would be a thing come the 90s and 2000s? How would you be able to withstand, withhold that knowledge though? Like back when Doc is like in the, like he talks about adjusting to the future. He builds a flying train. He changed yeah. the future. Like, I mean, that's never talked about with the slides, the freaky kid pointing at his doodle. Um, <laughs> God, that kid's weird. That's Noah. Um, so... <laughs> I want a date right here. Um, So anyway, it's a letter from Doc basically saying like, I'm alive in 1885, go and see the old me. And then we see Marty go visit Doc at the end of the last movie. And then it's like, Doc, you got to send me back to the future. And then Doc collapses and we get to be concluded and we get... Uh, We get a look at the next movie, which as you said, I think is the first time this maybe has ever been done. Um, and we're on to uh, Back to the Future 3 coming soon, which was, what, 18 months later, a year later? or No, six months. Six months later. Okay, yeah. there you go. So this was November 89, and then it was like the, the Memorial Day weekend, I think, in 1990 when it came out. So it actually wasn't that long of a wait. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the 1955 stuff, um, the, it's so complicated and it's so seamless. Like, every time where you're seeing these events that take place at the same time, like, you don't question it, and, and it's actually it's it's actually interesting how little Crispin Glover is used in these because it is a lot of faraway angles with the not Crispin Glover and stuff like that. Um, but even just being able to go back and experience the same day from a different point of view, uh, you know, there's a, a there's a famous movie that kind of started this uh, a Japanese movie from the fifties called Rashomon, which the entire movie is it starts with a murder in the middle of a woods, and then the entire movie is somebody telling the story. So you get about twenty minutes where it's 
you know, one murderer telling the story and then the murder is accomplished to tell the story, but you're like, oh, that's actually slightly different. And uh, But even if it's not telling different alternate versions of it, I just love being able to go back to this exact same day. You could have gone on and just done this, did an entire series of movies where, oh, now let's look at 1955 from Doc's point of view. Because even just seeing Doc building his little contraption, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. It's like, it's like deleted scenes within the movie. Like, I didn't know this stuff actually happened. Uh, but Biff and his grandma, that's just amazing. It's not what you expect. Even Marty, it's like, this can't be Biff's house. It looks like some old lady lives here. Um, I, I love the other. This actually is Thomas F. Wilson. Uh, because obviously we get her saying, it's like, Biff, where are you going now? But then when you actually hear what she's saying, why she's saying uh, she wants him to stay, it's something like, my feet hurt and I want you to rub my toes some more. <laughs> uh, and I, just, I always love the way that Biff uh, messes with these kids when he's got their ball. Uh, is this your yeah. ball? You want it back? They're like, then he throws it. Well, go get it. I don't know how many times I would. Oh, growing up, I'd always do that. Like somebody, hey, can you pass me that? And you just throw it. Like, go get it. <laughs> I got to start doing that with my kids now. It's, it's <laughs> a lot of fun to be. Bad. I thought you already did. <laughs> Shut up, Casper. Here's your extra pizza. Go get it. And he would. Yeah. The next next time Casper comes down here, he's always trying to grab something. Like Casper, is this your toy? You want it back? Go get it. <laughs> I'm sure he would have. I'm 100 doing that from with my kids tonight. Um, but. Uh, yeah, the 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 thing with the guy in the car too. Like, I love that they actually wanted to tie those things together. It's unfortunate that it's not in there, but it's like ultimately it's kind of unnecessary to say the guy in 2015 trying to get Marty to donate a hundred bucks is the guy who cleaned manure out of Biff's car. Uh, I, I like that he tries to bargain with him too when he's basically saying, "Well, why don't you call the the uh, manure guy and maybe he'll give you a refund." <laughs> like this is how it comes up. But in the end, when Biff's trying to get him bargain, he comes out and he's got like three cans of oil. So I just love that he's like trying to, no, 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 I'm saying 200. No, 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 300, I'm not budging. 275, 300, not budging. I'll throw in three cans of oil, deal. <laughs> That's the deleted scene I want to see in negotiating with this guy. Um, I always cringe a little bit when the the paint, or the, not the paint cans, the oil cans get thrown into the back seat. They know they land right on Marty's groin, but he can't move and he's just, oh, oh. Uh, him getting locked in the garage too, like Doc has to bike into the city. We worked out about how far this was supposed to be. Like it is walking distance, but this is sometime in, you know, mid afternoon. Cause Lorraine's just now getting her dress. And this is probably within an hour later, Doc has to come into the city. Then he gets a bike, but like it's, we already know it's walking distance to the town square from where they park. Cause that's the exact same place that Marty hides the glory in the first one. Doc is a really slow walker. And he just wasted time getting this bike. Mm. He probably could have gotten Marty out of there by then. Um, yeah, the, the scene with Doc, that that's uh, one of the only ones where you can kind of see the trickery of the effects of them having. Thank you. Um, by the way, this is a new thing here. I'm not big on Mountain Dew, but here we're going to have a, um, a Pepsi Perfect paid, thing here. Paid pro Mountain promotion. Dew Pitch Black. This is something that is a limited time thing they're selling here. It is amazing. It's a Mountain Dew Citrus Punch. So it's just, I just Pepsi want to give a there. in a Mountain Dew bottle, and they're just clever marketing. Well, it's citrus. It's it's ci yeah, citrus. Petra, Pepsi do like lemon, don't they? No, this is citrus though. It's like like orange, what? mango, that type of thing. Not not just lime. Sure. No, I, it's not mango. There's no mango in there. I'm saying citrus <laughs> it applies to multiple things. Mango. It literally tastes like grape soda with a hint of citrus. There you go. It's grape soda with a hint of citrus. Oh, fuck. I wish we did uh, video episodes right now. This is new Mountain Dew thing. No, it's not mango. <laughs> I said citrus. Right. It's delicious. <laughs> and then the arguments over what counts as citrus. Uh, anyways, yeah. So the, the doc scene, there's two things where you can kind of see how they did it here. In the doc scene where he's talking to himself and he hands himself the uh, the wrench, 
Uh, obviously, you can't have these two characters interacting, but the way this camera works is motion controlled. But they 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 have like the lamp post there, and Doc passes it to him behind the lamp post. But when you actually look at the wrench that comes out on the other side of the lamp post, it's like Doc's arm has shrunk by several inches, and it's like slightly out of place. It just looks a little bit weird. The worst one is in the Biff scene where Biff's in the car with himself, and he's uh, throwing the almanac because he passed him the almanac, and then when. The young Biff throws it in the back seat. It is clearly like animated. Like it's a cartoon almanac that flies into the back seat. That's mm-hmm. the one effect that really doesn't hold up at all. Um, I just love the way that they're, they're interacting too. Cause we have this, this running thing about, uh, which was probably only the one like, this is like the thing he's most associated with the whole make like a tree and get out of here. I think that line is only used one time in the first back to the future, but here it's like a running gag where he says, make like a tree together. He even has that line about the screen door on a, a battleship. And then Marty's like, screen door on a submarine, you dork. Uh, but then you have old Biff correcting. was like, it's leave, make like a tree and leave. You sound like a fool when you say that way. And then the way that Thomas and Wilson, he's like, always starts getting white. All right, then leave and take your stupid book with you. <laughs> uh, and then the way he like starts manhandling himself when he stuffs it in his back pocket. He's, hey, what are you doing? Like, has he got this old man grabbing his butt? <laughs> Thomas F. Wilson it probably does a better job interacting with himself than any of the other two actors. Well, the other two actors, I guess two or three in this movie who actually have to do it. Um, it's a really complicated scene. Uh, yeah, the uh, the dance stuff is great. And this is where you don't realize how little they actually use Crispin Glover because it is a lot of like, alternate angles and everything. Uh, when he's uh, um, seeing George knock him out and everything, we, we have those two people who identify in the last movie, the oldest couple ever, who's like, that's George McFly, who right behind Marty, who are like 40 years old. Now, they're not here, but if you actually freeze frame both, I did both side by side here on, on two different browsers. And th- those, they got pretty close. They actually just got younger in the second one. So they, mm. they they costume matched the exact same people who were standing behind Marty, those people and the other kids in the first movie, new actors, but costume matched them all. But they got a lot closer to teenagers. So I don't know what was up in 1985 where you only had 45 year old guy and girl who could play teenage couple. But the ones here in Back to Future 2, who you just see standing behind him in that alternate angle, they clearly look like they're 17 or 18. That's great. Um, This movie doesn't have a sequence like the clock tower moment in the first one, like a big action sequence. But the way that Robert Zemeckis can build tension, like he's got to be one of the best directors in the world at building tension. Because all we have here is him trying to stop guys from jumping on stage while Johnny B. Good's trying to be played. And he's literally just climbing up in the rafters and untying a sandbag. I always remember that as being like this incredibly tense scene where you're like on the edge of your seat and and you are, I'm not, it's not exaggerating to say it's a very tense scene, uh, but literally all he's doing is just climbing up there and reaching for a rope and that's it. Yeah. Uh, obviously this is like the, the problem with, you know, why I always questioned as a kid. I'm like, so, so what, when Marty handed the, the book off or when he saw old Biff, why didn't Marty just get out, hit the guy from behind with one of the oil cans hit Biff behind from the old can and take the book. But it's like, but then you're disrupting the events. They they basically have to make sure that Biff's day went about as it usually would. So even Marty, when they're on the way to the dance and he sees Biff's like got it on the seat, him grabbing it there would have potentially messed up the whole clock tower incident. And that's why I think the more you think about this, the more complicated it gets. Because if Marty gets this almanac even before George knocks him out, which is actually Marty's plan, that probably doesn't happen. Biff notices this almanac's gone He's not worrying about Lorraine in the car and trying to rape her and worried about George and Marty and all those other people. Uh, so it's actually quite a risk that Marty actually takes by even trying to take it beforehand. Um, and then the, the the chase scene that they have, 
like effects are incredible. Like the, him hanging onto the side of the car. There's some great shots there. Again, like the way that Thomas F. Wilson and Michael J. Fox physically react to a fight that's not even really happening. And you basically attach by wires is great. Um, I always uh, get really tense that moment where uh, uh, the, the car is like, he's revving the engine and then he's like trying to use the hoverboard and barely moving. I can remember seeing that the first time, that being the other moment where I'm like, my heart's stopping. I'm like, oh no. And then that moment where the, the, the again, the heroic moments they line up in this movie where the the little thing that just came off uh, the the Lions Gate, Lions Gate, uh, Lions Estate signpost, the little flag thing, it just starts to dangling yeah. and then he grabs it. <laughs> it. Just the way the music cues there and everything. Uh, and then the, this last scene where the DeLorean's in the air, like, it took me probably several viewings to catch on. I'm like, why doesn't he just land? But then he says, oh, the winds are picking up, so I need to circle back around before I can land or whatever. Uh, and obviously being struck by lightning, uh, yeah, it's not going 88 miles per hour, so maybe you could you could say, well, if it's in flight, it's different. But then again, you don't have the flight in the second one, but they don't address that, or sorry, in the third one. You don't address in the third one that it, why it has to all of a sudden go to 88 miles per hour again. But uh, uh, I also think it's cool, like the... Um, Way that that little flag thing that was hanging on the wheels just sort of slowly starts falling towards yeah, the ground. Yeah, I like that bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then Joe Flaherty here coming with, where he's like, I got something for you. <laughs> he's like getting ready to pull some, like a gun out or something. Uh, and then the, even there's the way he's like, oh, looks like I lost or whatever. Uh, who hasn't uh, probably at some point quoted the line to where after he reads the letter where he's like, is there anything I can do for help? There's only one man who can help me. <laughs> he's so overly dramatic. It is. It's great. Superman. Uh, and then he... <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, but uh, the the scene here with Doc now we have the opening scene in the movie where the tone changes with the uh, Jennifer, Marty and Doc scene that something's got to be done about your kids which actually has more to do with the fact that I think they decided they they need to make a plot out of this and the, the scene doesn't match the scene because when he says oh you and Jennifer turned out fine it's like well but the, the story we want to tell isn't true so now we got to have like a double take so it works in their favor they have to reshoot that scene Christopher Lloyd the way that he mimes his same movements, the way he does that little spin after the, the clock tower thing, where it's like, whoa, and he's like spinning around on one leg. He duplicates that exactly because you don't realize it's a separate shot. They even have the exact same angle. And then all of a sudden when the camera pans down, before it actually would just stop on Christopher Lloyd's face, you see Marty running in, you realize they, they Christopher Lloyd duplicated his movements from four or five years earlier, mm. which is like an incredible talent that you could do that. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the the line that he has, like, you did send me back to the future, but I'm back, I'm back from the future. Uh, that could have been the plot, the, the, the line of this movie or like the, the title of it, back to the future. And then this one been back from the future. Yeah. Oh, what would the third one have been? Back to the future again. Pa back I don't to know. the future, past and present. No, yeah, because we, we haven't even talked about the fact that th them using the part two instead of just the number two, because that was a weird thing where... Um, it was never done. That was apparently like more of a European thing where part two, part three was something they would do. And it was the Godfather part two. That was kind of like a, a fight they had with the studio back in the early seventies where they said, we want to call it the Godfather part two. And they're like, but part, you don't name movies part twos. At that point, they didn't even use numerals in the titles. You always just had a title to go with it. So even by the late, um, the late eighties, uh, I mean, the star Wars movies technically had the episodes or whatever, but they promoted those with, separate titles empire strikes back return of the jedi not star wars the empire strikes back it wasn't the norm yet to use numbers in the titles and yet what two years after this comes out 
Terminator 2 is out, and then every sequel is just the and number Jaws after the title. Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4. Uh, yeah, I guess jo- well, Jaws had done it. But again, it wasn't the popular thing to do. Like, see, For the most part, throughout the 80s and everything, you were still using The Empire Strikes Back as your title and everything. And then uh, Jaws was just the number on the end, but to actually use the part two and part three was something that nobody had done. And I kind of wish they'd bring that back. Like That's why I'm sad. I don't know if we haven't even talked about this yet, but if you've heard about the expected delay of Mission Impossible 8 now, uh, because obviously they're, they're, they hadn't finished filming the movie and the writer strike still going on. So like, well, we're not going to make a release date in six months. But it's the fact that they're delaying this for a year and they're now saying that they're no longer going to be calling it Dead Reckoning Part 2. So like, how how much does it make sense now that you actually have the title in the first one, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and now the next one's going to be Mission Impossible Reckoning of the Dead? Uh, like, uh, like, Maybe they'll remove, what are you like, gonna go- they'll like retcon it and not call they'll it. They'll have to, yeah. The way that uh, Back to the Future added the to be continued on the home video releases, they're going to remove part one yeah. from well, future releases. Uh, or a, new, a new hope was never a new hope, was it? It was just Star Wars. So Yeah, that was added later. But anyways, that, the long way of saying, uh, <laughs> the, the way that just a chase scene where you're holding onto a car and untying a sandbag can build the same levels of tension, not, not to the same level of excitement, because mm. it's a darker movie, but the same levels of tension without anything happening. I mean, they're going to go all out with the third movie, but it, it it holds up. It's it's a completely different type of movie. And a cliffhanger ending is something nobody had done before because the only time, yeah, the Empire Strike Back had a cliffhanger ending, but that was like, it still was the end of that movie. It wasn't, you're going to pick this up five minutes later. Mm. Uh, nobody had ever attempted to do something like this before. And the six month wait, I kind of wish they'd go back to that because the Matrix movies did a six month wait. The Kill Bill movies did a six month wait. Kill Phil. And nowadays- Kill Phil did what? How long was the wait between Kill Phil 1 and 2, Ben? Oh, about eight months, 11 months. Oh, there you go. You're still with the trend. But now it's like even the original plan for Mission Impossible was to always be a year apart. I'm like, I kind of like this idea that like you see a movie and then by the time it's out on video, the next one's ready to come in theaters. Yeah, no, I like that too. Um, it didn't actually get much of a critical response. Like I always thought the third one got the least, but this got the least of the three. So this one is 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, whereas part three is 80%. There you go. Um, but it's it flipped around on IMDb. This has got a 7.8 on IMDb, and part three has like a 7.4. Ah, okay. Uh, Metacritic has 57. The critical consensus is that it is far more uneven than its predecessor, but its madcap highs outweigh the occasional cluttered machinations of an overstuffed plot. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four. He criticized it for lacking the genuine power of the original, but praised for its slapstick humor and hoverboard at chase sequence. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times said that it was ready for bigger and better things and later said that it manages to be giddily and merrily mind-bogging rather than confusing. Um, Bob Gale apparently came out in 2018 and said that the movie received mixed reception because of the dark aspects of the story. They, the audiences, were absolutely surprised by it. The whole 1985 stuff. We went places the audience was not ready to go. That is some of my favorite stuff in the whole trilogy. There you go. Um, It won the Saturn Award for Best Special Effects. Uh, It won a couple of Kids' Choice Awards. Now, Michael J. Fox won Best uh, Favorite Movie Actor, beating out Chevy Chase for Christmas Vacation and Eddie Murphy for Harlem Nights. Uh, Leah Thompson won Favourite Movie Actress, beating out Kim Bassinger for Batman and Kirstie Alley oh, for Look Who's Talking. Speaking of which, Look Who's Talking won Favourite Movie that year, ahead of Back to the Future 2 and Batman. Um, other things that date not very well, looking at this, uh, Favourite TV Show that year, The Cosby Show. Uh, favourite TV Actor, Kirk Cameron. 
Uh, people who have been cancelled <laughs> 35 years later. New Kids on the Block won favourite musical musician or male musician or group. And Paula Abdul uh, won favourite female, beating out Janet Jackson. Um, and the favourite song of 1990, Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Uh, <laughs> good song. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar uh, for Best Visual Effects, but it lost to The Abyss, uh, which I've never seen, so I don't know. And the other movie nominated that year was The Adventures of Baron Manchusson. Um, who, what won uh, Best Picture that year, Colin, off the top of your head? Do you remember? Driving Miss Daisy. Correct. Who won Best Actor that year, Colin? Oh, Jeremy Irons. Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, I see. I, Jamie actually, she says that I'm like a freak because I remember all these things, but when I, everybody kind of has their weird thing. When I was a teenager, I had both, it was a book on the history of box office. Uh, it was like 1939 to present, whenever that was, like late 90s or something like that. And I would just read this. I'm like, oh, the number four movie in 1946. And it was the same thing. I had one was like the history of the Academy Awards. And I just always read those. I used to um, be able yes, to name Daniel. them. I, I, I would ask yeah. I'd struggle now. But there are some that I could do that. But check out this for best actor category. Who else is nominated that year? Kenneth Branagh, Tom Cruise, Morgan Freeman, uh, and Robin Williams. That's it. That's this a, isn't just because I'm a Tom Cruise fanboy, but Tom Cruise deserved it for Born on the Fourth of July. I've seen the only one I would have seen in that would be Dead Poets Society. I know Robin Williams is brilliant in that. Um, so mm. there you go. Uh, box office. Uh, this movie made a grand total of $118,549,330 worldwide. $118,450,000 of that came from domestic and apparently it only made $99,000 overseas, but I'm guessing it wasn't really tabulated back then. So I'm calling bullshit on that. Um, yeah. went on to be the sixth highest grossing movie of 1989. What was the number one movie that year, Colin? Well, Batman. Batman. Uh, was it only? If, I, I thought it was because again, my my book <laughs> would have had it in the top five. Uh, well, if I or, look at, or, if I'm looking at in year releases, uh, it is number six, and calendar grosses, mm. it is actually number ten. So we usually do uh. in year releases, don't we? Yeah. So yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Lucas Talking, Lethal Weapon Two, Indiana Jones, and Last Crusade, and uh, Batman, and then so other ones we've done. We've done uh, when Harry met Sally. Obviously, we did that recently. Uh, Turner and Hooch came out that year. Uncle Buck. Uh, Parenthood. It was a movie. Dreams. Canine. Uh, the Crow. The Little Kid Mermaid. Pathway, Bill and Ted's Texelland, Texelland Adventure. Texelland. <laughs> um, it's weekend. Uh, it made $43 million on its opening weekend. Now, what would have we seen that weekend? Apparently, there's only three movies at the cinemas on Thanksgiving Day weekend in 1989. Back to the Future 2, Parenthood, and Batman, which was in its 23rd week. And still making eighty-eight thousand so, dollars. We've referenced this many times before. Like the the modern day box office, the trend is your your box office will probably go at least fifty percent, sixty percent less. But in nineteen eighty nine, this was like a big deal. This is one of the reasons why they uh, it had the reputation of being like a movie with uh, bad critical response because it, it went from opening weekend to second weekend where it lost like fifty six percent. Nowadays, if you lose fifty six percent of your gross in your second weekend. That's nothing. Like, oh, you did well, you know? But uh, in 1989, this was like a big deal. People were like, oh, this movie, they, it, nobody had discovered front-loading was a thing yet in 1989. It's not that it had a bad response. People just stopped seeing it. It's just it, the, the demand for this movie was so big that you just had more people seeing it on opening weekend than expected and less people on uh, the weekends that followed that. I'm looking at other movies. Oh, good. All Dogs Go to Heaven. I used to love that movie as a kid. Um, oh, 36, License to Kill. No. <laughs> Makes me sad. 
Um, I guess we go plot. Uh, no, we'll do reviews. One star reviews. Uh, one of the one of the worst movies ever made. Randall G. Smith. Uh, get rid of Biff. P R H twenty two. So this is a short review. Oh my G. Dot 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 dot. Horrible movie. I wonder what the writers were smoking. They should have stopped with the original. Dot 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 dot. Classic. I cannot tell you how stupid this movie was. I fast through fall through the Biff parts. Dot 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 dot. Which was most of the movie. Warning. Dot, 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 dot. Don't waste your time. Oh, sorry, hang on. Let me rephrase that. Don't waste you time. I never waste you time. PRH22. Um, okay. Well, PRHU22. Dot, 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 dot. You're an idiot. Uh, dot, 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 dot. What else? Stupid we, kid. We've got here. Horrible freaking movie. George McFly's Friends. Hmm. Ooh. Why, why, why they made it. Uh, well, it's that time again. Dreadful milking of such a great first. There's actually, there's only... 12 one-star reviews versus a grand total of 104 10-star reviews. So there you go. Uh, Plot keywords. The number one plot keyword for this movie is Time Machine. The bottom one is telling someone to shut up. Oh, I'm down for that month. (laughs) What are we up to on uh, telling someone to shut up month? Titanic, I I can't. Final Destination, Forrest Gump, and Psycho. Uh, I I can't forget this because I will otherwise. The the guy, the guy, you're, you're, I think he took his wallet guy. His name is Wesley Mann. No, he's um, a man. He is a man. He's he's actually he's still acting today. He does a lot of guest spots on TV shows. Um, but uh, the the really exciting things here, he played on the TV show Veronica Mars, Ned Flanders type. No, I think it was a I gotta see that. closet. He he also was played clerk in the Adventures of Rocky and Boinkle movie, mm. which we nearly did. And but we uh, didn't he was on doing. AJ Sanderson on Home Improvement, um, which I'm gonna have to see what episode that is. Uh, I don't even know what episode that is. So oh, yeah, come on, Colin. Tim Allen and Michael J. Fox. This guy has been with all my childhood heroes. Uh, I think we're gonna do Falling Theater Sandbag Month, uh, <laughs> featuring Back to the Future Part Two, Steamboat Bill Jr., Mighty Morphin Power Rangers episode Lights, Camera, Action, and Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries episode Ruddy Gore, an Australian show. So there you go. There's only four on there. Is that Australian? It is. Jessie Davis. Oh, I didn't know that. She's Tasmanian. I've interviewed her. She's great. She was in The Matrix. We talked about her. Um, Crotch grab month. Oh, is that Michael Jackson? Like everything on that? Oh, well, we could have Gladiator, The Gentleman. That's actually a good movie. Uh, a, a movie that's actually called a Serbian film. Oh, that's, about an aging porn star. It's Whoa, that, no, who that makes is, a snuff film? It's um one of the most controversial movies of all time, Colin. I don't know if you'd probably want to watch that. It, oh. Literally, he rapes his own son, a little boy. And then Ma, um, crotch grab month is out there. <laughs> uh, I'm on board for character appears on front page of a newspaper month. Uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Spider-Man, Men in Black, and Spider-Man 3. Uh, second in the trilogy month, boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship, intergenerational friendship month, reading a letter out loud, um, to be continued ending. Uh, <laughs> where was, there was one here. It was like, just, I, I saw it at the beginning. It was like literally part of series. Um, oh, buxom month, loss of father month, fainting DeLorean title directed I- by male. Now that would be a tough one. <laughs> I, I hope that there's actually enough on here to complete a month with for holographic shark month. Uh, no, it's just Back to the Future too. But holographic days. animal. Oh, there's more than one here. Okay. Uh, reference uh. to Michael Jackson month. I'm on board. <laughs> what have we got? It, us, 
Megan and Final Destination again. No. Uh, buying this movie, Colin Hilding, and I will just jump in and yes. say it's number two because I think I already gave my, my rankings last week that it's just going to be one, two, three. So I'm guessing yours is probably going to be one, three, two, but uh, it's a buy for me. Um, yeah, we'll see next week if it's uh, one, two, three, or one, three, two. Uh, nothing comes close to the first movie, but I have always kind of felt like two and three are very close. They're just very different movies. Three kind of nails the heart. This one kind of nails the the complicated plot. They're both perfect for what they are. They 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 form maybe the, the greatest single, well, up there with Star Wars, one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Um, but yeah, buying in, it'll be my number two for now. Uh and next week, obviously, part three. I mean, I, I don't dislike part three. I, I love part three. I love all of these movies. They're all buys. They're all great films. Uh, but it's always been, I guess, my least favorite of the three. But it still doesn't mean I don't like it. I still really enjoy part three. Marion Steinberger. I mean, come on. Like, uh, we, I forgot to mention that line when Doc's like, maybe we can work out the other mysteries because he's going to destroy the time machine. <laughs> Women. Women. <laughs> Which still, 40 years later, we're still trying to do it, right? Um, but... Yeah, I, I it's enjoyable. And again, I, I, I sent you the link to that um, that ad for classifications in Australia. The dude it up, egg sucking, gutter trash. <laughs> which for years I had no idea what that movie was. And then finally it made sense when I saw this movie. I'm like, that's the clip from the ad. Um, mm. And the theme, I, I do love the Western like. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So maybe it could be my favorite like score. And we get ZZ yeah, Top. Um, so ah, ZZ Top <laughs> exactly what's not to like about ZZ Top and the action sequence okay? although this does have one of my biggest gripes from movies from the 70s and 80s we talked about it back in Star Wars explosions with sparks uh, mm-hmm. I still don't know why that's a thing but they're coloured in this one uh, and then we get kid pointing at his doodle um, yeah. Noah <laughs> which does have a massive again that's a huge plot hole that he's like oh we can't destroy like the future but he invents a flying train in like the early yeah. 1900s but uh, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun it's it's I, I mean I maybe would argue it's just the most harmless fun of the three of them it's just like just mm-hmm. such a a, a a ride you know it's just you don't really need to pay attention to this one it's just kind of fun mm-hmm. yeah it's Thomas F. Wilson having a blast it's Christopher Lloyd, uh, this is the the most insane thing. Uh, this far into his career, this was the first on-screen kiss that Christopher Lloyd ever had. He had never Aww. been a leading man in a love story until Aww. Back to the Future 3. He was um, a virgin in this movie. Getting older to <laughs> He lost his virginity. Uh, and then lots of Jules Verne references, which I have read a lot of Jules Verne books just because of Back to the Future 3. Uh, ben will get there as soon as he learns how to read. But uh, yeah, the, the 3 is so exciting. It's so much fun. Uh, the train sequence is amazing uh that that alone is makes the entire movie worthwhile but thomas f wilson as buford tannen <laughs> uh. probably the funniest villain if, if back to future 2 is the most evil villain in movie history i think that buford tannen might be the funniest villain in movie history i love him uh we've got about two hours shorter in this episode than the first one do you want to keep talking for another two hours or yeah, well, yeah. Ben hosting well. Good luck next week. <laughs> um, but obviously we've got 24 happening at the moment as well. Um, the Marvels, I guess we're seeing it at some point around about now. So stay tuned to that. We've got uh, a 24 actor interview coming in the coming weeks. And as I said mm-hmm. in this episode, I'm going to go see The Room with Greg Sestro in a couple of weeks and he's keen to come back on the show. So we don't know what capacity that might be, but uh, we're heading to The Room, even if it's just like a additional little chat we can have in somewhere just as a short one that we can drop in there as well. Uh, we will soon find out. And then we're uh, obviously at the end of next week, we'll talk about what we're doing next month because we're at the end of the year and we're doing another Christmas one because we haven't done a Christmas one in a few years from memory, have we? Because we, we didn't yeah. do one last year. Was last, best year was of. A, last year was a best of, yeah. Yeah, so this, this is a Christmas one we were meant to do a couple of years ago, but we didn't, so uh, we're finally doing it. 
And uh, Christmas, <laughs> it'll be in quotes. I've never seen any of the four movies in question, so um, that's still crazy. You've never seen Gremlins. I don't know how I've never seen Gremlins. I've really never seen. I think I think I got lumped into the Ghostbusters Ghostbusters category, where mm. again it was one of these ones that my dad was just kind of like, "Oh, it's fine." So like Ghostbusters again, I've talked about that. Like I, they're fine, but I'm, I'm not like cable obsessed with Ghostbusters. Whereas Gremlins, I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, they kind of look like Ghostbusters, and I don't find them amazing. So maybe I'm just like, cool. Sorry to Ghostbusters fans out there. <laughs> Uh, like, subscribe, do all the regular stuff, and we will be back when we're back. My name is Ben, and I don't know what liquor smells like because I'm too young to drink it. And my name is Colin, and ooh la la, ooh la la. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the oznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)